Live from the 607, it's the Ocho Duro Parlay Hour, where we're talking everything going on in the world of sports. Join in the conversation on social media with the hashtag ODPH, because here we go. Welcome to an all-new edition of the ODPH Podcast, better known as the Ocho Duro Parlay Hour. Man, what is happening, everybody? Thank you so much for joining us this week. My name is Ken M. Joining me in studio, as always, you know him. He's the co-host. He's also the birthday boy this week. Yes. His name is Padawan J. Oh, let me talk to you. Oh, yeah. And boy, do we have a lot to talk about in the land of sports. Oh, do we ever. Do we ever. So we are having a jam-packed episode of the podcast. Thank you so much for checking us out. But we want to keep that conversation rolling, rolling, rolling after the show. So, Pad, where does everybody head on over to? ODPHpodcast.com. Right on. You swing on over to the website. Check out all the social media accounts. They're all updated. They're all located right there. Like, follow, subscribe, interact. Can't make it easier than that. Also, check out the T Public Store link. You want to get some holiday shopping ideas? Bam! Right there at your fingertips. Mm -hmm. Can't make it any easier. In fact, I even encourage you, buy when it's on sale. I don't even care about making the money. So it's very frequent they have a sale, too. Yes, there is. So you always want to make sure you pop in there, go see what kind of swag is there. We have some ideas for new designs coming out. I don't want to tip my hat, though, a little bit because, well, in case we don't wind up releasing something into the wild, so to speak. Don't want to get your hopes up. I don't want to, yeah, I don't want to disappoint anybody. But we still have a lot of great ideas for this holiday shopping season that you want to go check out there. Also, the Patreon link, shout out to all our amazing patrons, one tier, $2 a month, and bonus content is right there at your listening discretion. Also, the blog section where we do constant reviews, had one up for Invincible Season 2 Part 1. So if you haven't checked that out on Amazon Prime, make sure to go do that, and then you can compare what I thought of the show with what you thought of. It's that easy. Also, we are on... Many, many providers. Pat, how many providers are we on? Uh, 11.6 million. Sounds about right to me. I don't even question it anymore. That is why he is the statistician to the stars, folks. So if you want to find the ODPH on your favorite podcast player, subscribe and listen right from wherever you're checking us out, whether it's your phone, your desktop, your laptop. However, it's that easy. You can play the show right then and there on your favorite player. Can't make it simpler than that. Also, check out the classified section where you have friends of the show, such as Dragon Master Games, 3FN Podcast, Nerd Initiative. A lot of stuff is happening over there. So you definitely want to make sure you're checking out all of them and so many more that are on that page. And also the music section where you can find out everything going on with Brian Wolf and the Howlers. Shout out to Robots, Floodlands with a new CD coming out. Uh, Second Suitor, Tom Jolu, the list goes on and on. Basically, if it's anything and everything that is the ODPH, you can find it at odphpodcast.com. And always remember on social media to use the hashtag ODPHpod. Kicking off the sports edition of the show, well, it's football season, so that's the only way we like to kick things off during that time period, Pat. It's Locks and Leaves Recap. Yes. Let's go. Yeah, so we're going to start with one of my locks, and I chose the Philadelphia Eagles to beat the Dallas Cowboys, uh, which they did by the final score of 28-3. to uh, Jalen Hurts, 17-23 for 207 yards passing, two touchdowns, no interceptions. Dak Prescott went 29-44 for 374 yards passing, three touchdowns, just no interceptions. Tony Pollard led Dallas in rushing with 12 carries, 51 yards, 
yards, no touchdowns. DeAndre Swift led Philly in rushing with 18 carries, 43 yards, no touchdowns. A.J. Brown led Philadelphia in receiving with seven catches, 66 yards, just one touchdown. Uh, And C.D. Lamb led Dallas in receiving and have a damn game, why don't you? 11 catches, 191 yards, zero touchdowns. And for any of you who uh, mistakenly left him on your bench, God, I'm so sorry for you. Uh, But no, hell of a win for Philly there. Big win for Philly. If Dallas could run a two-minute drill... (laughs) <laughs> it would be a whole different story. If if the NFL games were 57 minutes, uh, Dallas had won a few Super Bowls by now. Yeah, it's a weird situation. This is not a bad loss for Dallas. No. And for anybody that's very critical of Dak Prescott, this is one of his better games. Mm-hmm. I really can't say this is all on him. Yeah. I just think that they were not ready for the moment, and unfortunately – in that time of crunch, yeah, you need to be. Yeah, no, I, I had an interesting experience with this game too because, like you alluded to, my birthday's this week, and since I have uh, family members going out of town this weekend, we did a birthday dinner with my family on Sunday, and I, and we elected to go to a local. I, it's not a sports bar; it's a sports restaurant. Mm-hmm. You know, we we went out to eat and. You know, obviously, you know, being one of the major game marquee games that was on in the late afternoon, that was one of the games that was on. And where we were situated in the restaurant was where the Dallas fans were. And on the opposite side of the restaurant was where the Philly fans were because Coach, obviously well, reasons there, you know, you can't put two and two together. It was a wild experience for me to just be sitting there watching the game. And like when Dallas did something, you know, the people around me started cheering, which drove my niece all sorts of happy. And then when you're on the opposite, and then when Philly did something, the opposite side of the restaurant started cheering. It was wild. Does that mean Sienna is a Dallas fan? No. If if her father has anything to say about it, no. Fair enough. She's she's nine months. She doesn't understand. Exactly. Not yet, but one day. Maybe. But in that kind of situation, though, you can't really fault any team here. No. And especially in Dallas's case, which this is where my argument goes, they played very smart, but... That two-minute drill mm-hmm. and late in the game, mm-hmm. that's the turning point of this entire ball game. Right, and I know the Dallas fans are like, oh, well, the refs screwed us. Listen, the refs might have missed a call or two there, let's, let's be honest. But at the end of the day, it's like we say with anything, don't leave it in the refs' hands. Oh, exactly. The refs make bad calls in every game. Yes, they do. It's the factor of human error. <laughs> Just watch the left tackles in the Patriots Commanders game. Oh yeah, there's a lot I can Holy go. Holy hell. Oh, there's a lot I can go into. In fact, I will when we talk about the Bills. I have feelings about the refs calls there. But at the end of the day, it doesn't decide the game in this instance. Mm-hmm. This instance goes down to you couldn't close where you needed to close and your 2-minute drill just fell apart. Especially when Philly <laughs> was giving you this game. Yeah. Like, this was not a dominant Philly win. Uh, 14 to 17 uh, in favor of Dallas at halftime. Uh, Philly came out and scored 14 points unanswered in the third quarter. And then were held scoreless the entire fourth quarter, whereas Dallas could only put up six. Mm -hmm. And Dallas should have put up more. Yeah. It was just a factor of the offense couldn't get the job done when it needed to. C.D. Lamb had a career game, in my opinion. Yeah, he did. I... I am not the biggest fan of him on the field, per se. Like, when we start talking about true number one receivers. He's good, but he's not great. I don't think he's a number one, in my opinion. Right. I just don't. I think he's a good receiver. Yeah, he is. But I don't think that he is going to be somebody that's a lockdown receiver. Right. 
that you see on other teams. In this situation, he did all he could. He played out of his mind. I can't fault him on this. Mm-hmm. But it just comes down to McCarthy at the coaching position needed to make some changes, didn't do it. Yeah, I think this is something that has now become a trademark for him, which it's odd to say. Yeah, But when you start taking a look at the success he had in Green Bay, mm-hmm. you can kind of see that a lot of that more is going in the favor of Aaron Rodgers than him. Yeah. And in this situation, Dak, who played great. Yeah, 374 and 3. Yeah. There's no argument about Dak's so, playing in this. So it really wasn't the offense per se. It was more of the defense. Right. But when you're the head coach, it falls on you. Yes. And that's where I think it needs to really be held accountable for. Mm-hmm. And the situation is when you needed a score late, you didn't. The two-minute drill looked rocky. Yeah. And then the fact that you let Philly go out to that early lead in that third quarter, especially – they were moving the ball at ease. Yeah, they were. Dallas, the you know the highly touted defense, did not show up until late in the fourth. Mm-hmm. And granted, it was a close game. But at the end of the day, nobody remembers close. Yep. Everybody mm-hmm. just remembers a win and a loss. Yep. Uh, so looking at these two teams' schedules for the next couple of weeks, the Philadelphia Eagles are actually on a bye week this upcoming week. Uh, then they come back on Monday Night Football in Kansas City to play the Kansas City Chiefs. Uh, folks, if you're betting on that game, take the over. Yeah. Uh, week after that, they're at home against the Buffalo Bills. And then at the start of December, they're at home against the San Francisco 49ers. For those Dallas Cowboys, this upcoming Sunday, they're at home against the New York Giants. Then they travel on the road to the Carolina Panthers, back at home for the Washington Commanders. And then they're at home uh, against the Seattle uh, Seahawks should mention also that the Washington game is on Thanksgiving. That'll be the 430 game on CBS. And then the Seattle game is on Prime Video. So that'll be the Thursday night game on November 30th. Uh, switching over to one of my leaps because I did not do well in leaps this week. I went over to in my leaps. Well, the one I told one leap I took was the Rams beating the Packers, which eh, yeah, one, <laughs> I fi- one I figured more interesting, though, because this looked like a goddamn video game was the. Uh, Tampa Bay Buccaneers I picked to beat the Houston Texans, which they didn't by all of a safety, uh, with Houston winning 39-37. to 37. Uh, C.J. Stroud, 30-42 of 42 for 470 yards, five touchdowns, wow, no interceptions, finished with a rating of 147.8. Uh, Baker Mayfield, 21-30 for 265 yards passing, two touchdowns, no interceptions. Rashad White led Tampa Bay in rushing with 20 carries, 73 yards, two touchdowns. Devin Singletary led Houston in rushing with 13 carries, 26 yards, no touchdowns. Noah Brown led Houston in receiving with six catches, 153 yards, one touchdown. Should also mention CJ Stroud loves his tight ends because Dalton Schultz also went 10 catches, 130 yards, and one touchdown. Oh, by the way, have you heard of him? Tank Dell, six catches, 114 yards, two touchdowns. There's three dudes on Houston receiving that averaged over a first down per catch. One dude, Noah Brown, averaged almost three. On the Tampa Bay side, just to be fair, uh, Mike Evans led them in receiving with four catches, 87 yards, and no touchdowns. Well, the story here is cj stroud's that dude yeah holy shit that houston might have found the diamond in the rough and and remember when it came post draft time we're like all right that was a choice we'll see if this works for him uh it's working well you know the thing about it is stroud is given enough balance on Mm -hmm. that offense Mm -hmm. that he is allowed to take some chances yeah and this team 
which, I mean, let's face it. We have to admit we were wrong. Yeah. I'll, I'll admit it. I'll admit it, too. I thought they were going to be one of the worst in the league. They're 4-4. Four and four. Yeah, they are. And I'm surprised they're 3-1 and one at home. Like, yeah, uh, and Stroud's numbers are absolutely... They're video games. They're ridiculous. Uh, so for the season, and mind you, he's a rookie, uh, 2,270 yards passing, 14 touchdowns, one interception, that lone interception coming a couple of weeks ago at a home game against the New Orleans Saints where they won 20-13. to 13. But in case you're curious, uh, as we currently record, uh, which peek behind the curtain, this is before the Monday night game, yep. so some of these numbers might change. Uh, but you got Tua Tagovailoa's number one in passing yards. Sam Howell, of all people, is number two. Go figure. Number three is Patrick Mahomes. Fourth is Josh Allen. Fifth is Jalen Hurts. Sixth is Kirk Cousins. Seventh, C.J. Stroud. So take out Sam Howell because that one's you know out of left field for me personally. Mm-hmm. But he's in amongst like some of the elite passers in the NFL right now, and he's a rookie. He's a rookie, but he's playing with a chip on his shoulder. This is true. And I think this is something that Houston needs mm-hmm. because, let's face it, they need something to give them a spark. They had much since, well, 2002. Right. But in this situation, Shroud is allowed to really take chances and play recklessly. Mm-hmm. And the thing is, when you can play with this much freedom, yeah, and especially the expectations, I mean, let's face it, when you're the number two pick overall, you're coming on to a bad team nine yeah. out of ten, nine out of ten times, unless and, something weird happens. Yeah, yeah, unless it's a situation like Philly getting into the top ten last yeah. year. Yeah, you know, but yeah. we, we like to define that as what pad reasons. But in this situation, Stroud is just playing so recklessly; it's not hurting him. It's allowing him to mm-hmm. to win tough games. Yeah, and this is something that for a Houston team, they desperately needed something to excite their fan base. It's a foundational building block that, let's face it, they haven't had it on offense since, like, what, David Carr in 2002, maybe? No, I would say I would say since DeAndre Hopkins and Deshaun, yeah. and Deshaun Watson okay. were I'll, there. You know, I'll give you that. Yeah. You know, it's something to build around. It's showing, okay, we have a guy who can play quarterback. You know, we'll see if he's the guy because, you know, we've, we've seen plenty of quarterbacks come in their rookie year, light the place on fire, and then come in their second season and just absolutely stink the joint up like you wouldn't believe. So mm. he's showing he's got at least some talent that he can be the guy. Yeah. But we got to see if he can develop and grow. And, and obviously that comes with Houston adding some pieces around him. He's playing well with what he's got. Yeah. You know, his low point in passing for the year was 140 yards last week. You know, past that, uh, he's hit over 200 games every game, with the lone exception being against the uh, Saints, but 199. Yeah. But every other game. So you got 470 this week, 140 last week, 199 the week before. But then you've got 249, 306, 280, 384, and 242. And the dude's thrown at least double-digit touchdowns in all but one, two, three games. You know, his his first start, no touchdowns. Then he had a game against the Falcons, one touchdown. And then the Carolina Panthers, no touchdowns. Yeah. Every other game, double digits. Yeah. Or uh, more than one. Yeah, multiple. Multiple. Yeah, it's crazy to think about. Like, I, I'm really sitting here and shocked. And, you know, happy for the fans of Houston. Yeah. Football. Football. Fuck the Astros. Yeah. We, we don't acknowledge the baseball fans. Sorry, guys. Uh in this situation that, yeah, you have something to grow on, especially in a division that, I mean, Jacksonville is there. They're showing some promise. But there's some promise here, even though this game was a lot closer yeah. than it should have been. Yeah. I mean, that's something that 
this was not a complete domination. No. By any stretch of the imagination. Tampa Bay showed up. Baker played great right. for Baker at this stage in his career. Right. I mean, 265 and 2 is nothing to sneeze at. No. But in the situation. You, you expect more with his receivers. Well, yeah, that's the thing. They have, if you want to talk about the the optical test, mm-hmm. T- Tampa Bay is a lot better. Yeah. This should have gone a completely different direction. Yeah. However, Houston is doing this with sheer grit. Right. And the thing is, when you can have Tank Dell making a clutch catch. Yeah. And then you have a backup running back. Kick your game-winning field goal. Kick your game-winning field goal. Which was the first time uh, somebody outside of a kicker had kicked a game-winning field goal or kicked a field goal since Wes Welker did it for the Dolphins. Yeah. In like 2005, 2006, maybe 2004. Mm -hmm. It's been a while. Yeah, I mean, that's the one thing about it is when you have situations like this, there's a lot to be excited about. Uh Uh-huh. And that's where you really need to carry this momentum forward. Now, am I saying they're going to go playoffs? No. No. But I think for right now, at this stage in the the time frame, Uh you have a lot to be excited for the future Uh with the Texans. They're they're, they're sniffing the playoffs. You know, there's always a chance. But, you know, realistically, you look at they got to get past the Jets and the Bengals and the Browns and the Bills, you know, who are all right in there. Uh, Because you've got the Steelers 5-3, Browns 5-3, Bengals 5-3, Jets 4-3, Bills are 5-4. Uh, and then you got the Texans at the 10th spot at four and four. Yeah. So there's there's a chance, you know, mathematically, you know, there's always a chance. Well, that's the whole thing that you really need to focus on this year because let's face it, they should not have been in the no. conversation. No, they should have been at least a, a mid first round, even a high first round pick. Yeah. But in this situation, there's a lot to be amped up for. Yeah. There's a lot to carry that momentum moving forward. Yeah. Especially when you can win a crazy game like this. Where you, you should have not been involved in. Yeah, and I'm, I mean, I'm looking at his uh, CJ Stroud's game uh, game log here. You know, and he got great touchdowns. And obviously, the interceptions are phenomenal. You know, add some weapons around him. Add you know, work on the O line a little bit. You know, 18 sacks. You know, at this point in the season, that's a little much. You know, if you ask me, but you know, so improve the line a little bit, get him some weapons, and boy, you got something cooking down there. Yeah, exactly. Uh, and then looking at the team's upcoming schedules for those Houston Texans this upcoming Sunday, they're on the road playing the Cincinnati Bengals. Uh, then they are at home against the Arizona Cardinals the following week, at home against the Jacksonville Jaguars week after that, and then week 13 at home against the Denver Broncos. And then for the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, uh, they are at home against the Tennessee Titans this upcoming Sunday. Then they are on the road playing the San Francisco 49ers uh, the following week, on the road playing the Indianapolis Colts the week after that, then week 13 at home against the Carolina Panthers. A lot of things to be amped up about, and Mm -hmm. you know what? Houston moving forward, if they can carry this momentum, that's going to be huge going down the stretch. Now, mm-hmm. playoffs, playoffs, a little crazy to think about, but anything is possible. Playoffs. Speaking of anything is possible. Holy shit. Something that has flown under the radar mm-hmm. has been the AFC North in general. The entire AFC North is in the playoffs. Yes. Uh, Baltimore is in the two spot. Pittsburgh's in the five spot. Cleveland's in the six. And Cincinnati's in the seven. Yeah. What the shit? It's a crazy world we live in, folks. And especially with the Browns being in this conversation, losing Nick Chubb for the year. And granted, 
They beat the worst, well, arguably the worst team in football, but however, yeah, I think there's yeah. a team in East Rutherford that is taking that job right oh, now. Oh, they're, they're in contention. Yeah, but let's talk about Cleveland and why they rocked. Uh, yeah, so Cleveland beat the Arizona Cardinals 27 to nothing. Deshaun Watson, 19 of 30 for 219 yards passing, two touchdowns, no interception. Uh, Clayton Toon. Uh, you might be wondering who he is because, hey, what happened to Josh Dobbs? Well, in between uh, recordings last week, he had the NFL trade deadline. Josh Dobbs got traded to Minnesota. We'll get to him in a minute. Mm. Uh, but Clayton Toon started for them. He's a rookie, uh, a fifth-round pick, 139 overall, uh, out of Houston. Uh, so making a start there. Went 11 for 20, uh, 58 yards passing, no touchdowns, two interceptions. Uh, he also led Arizona in rushing. Uh, five carries, 28 yards, no touchdowns. Jerome Ford led Cleveland in rushing with 20 carries 44 yards no touchdowns amari cooper led cleveland in receiving because duh uh five catches 139 yards passing one touchdown and then marquise brown led uh arizona in receiving with uh four catches 24 yards and no touchdowns is crazy to think about with cleveland yeah it is it really is because they should not be in this conversation Yet, here they are. Mm -hmm. Kareem Hunt has looked good since he's come back to the team. Yeah. Jerome Ford is an adequate... Serviceable. Serviceable replacement for Nick Chubb. Uh, Deshaun Watson, I'm not sold on being the guy to get them deep in the playoffs. Not yet. I just I don't think he's there yet. But this Browns team is winning ugly. Mm -hmm. and this is not fun football to watch, per se. No. But against the Arizona Cardinals, which, let's face it, Kyler Murray is still out. Yep. They are completely in rebuild mode. There's... The new Call of Duty is coming out soon, so that uh, outage is going to extend even further. Yeah, I mean, this is what good teams do is they beat the lesser teams. Mm -hmm. And I'm not saying this was a statement win by any stretch of the imagination, but the Browns look good. Yeah. And they, they're winning against teams they should win against. No, I mean, and, and if you want to beat the Cleveland Browns, hey, defensive coordinators, I'm going to give you a little inside track. Stop Amari Cooper because I'm looking at uh, you know the high receivers for each of their games and their night and their uh, for the games they played. So out of the one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, they've played five of them are Amari Cooper. Mm -hmm. So like if you want to stop him, you know, if you want to stop the Cleveland Browns, stop Amari Cooper. There, there's your first thing. I agree with you. I mean, Deshaun Watson has been good. But is it does he strike me as the guy to be like yeah that they're going to lead Cleveland to the, at least the AFC Championship game because I don't see them getting to the Super Bowl this year unless there's an absolute batshit crazy you know voodoo spell casted somewhere I I just don't see him getting to the Super Bowl you know so but do I see him getting to the AFC Championship game no you know can can they make the playoffs yeah can they you know surprise some people and maybe win a game or two sure but are they going to get far not with Deshaun. No, or, or at least not the way the team's currently constructed. Well, that's the whole thing. Uh, how they're currently constructed <laughs> is, is a totally different ball game. But if their defense plays sound, which they have, and I think it's one of the more slept-on defenses in the league. Miles Garrett's still a monster. Mm -hmm. They have a chance to make some noise. I just don't know how loud they're going to do, but I think yeah. this, is, this goes to show that the toughest division in football might not be the AFC East at all. It might be yeah. the AFC North when it's all said and done. Could be. Uh, so then looking at the schedules for these two teams in the next couple of weeks, uh, this upcoming Sunday, the Cleveland Browns are on the road playing the Baltimore Ravens. Then they're at home against the Pittsburgh Steelers on the road playing the Denver Broncos. And then they're on the road playing the Los Angeles Rams in week 13. And then for the Arizona Cardinals, 
this upcoming Sunday, they are at home against the Atlanta Falcons, on the road playing the Houston Texans, at home against the Los Angeles Rams, and then they have the Pittsburgh Steelers on the road in Week 13. Well, we'll just have to wait to see how Cleveland does. Arizona season is done. I'm, I'm uh-huh. sorry. There's no, yeah. Might, a, might pick up a win in like week 17, week 18, because I mean they're play, yeah yeah they're playing Philly, yeah they're playing Seattle, but odds are Philly's going to have their spot locked up by then. They might be resting their guys. You know, Seattle might have their spot locked up. They might you know they'll, they'll pick up a garbage shouldn't have won a game late in the season. Yeah, but I mean other than that, I mean yeah. there's nothing nice to talk. No, about. no. Speaking of nothing nice to talk about, Uh-oh. I put, nope. the, put the disclaimer on for this one. Oh, the thoughts, views, and opinions are that of Ken M. and do not necessarily reflect that of the ODPH. Listener discretion is advised. So Sunday Night Football, we had a game. Yeah, you did. If you want to call it that. And I know there was a lot of high emotions involving it, which I mean. A per- lot of intrigue. Yeah, which, like I say, I understand this had a lot more going on than football. It was great seeing DeMar Hamlin back. Shout out to what he did with the scholarships. Yeah. That was awesome. Yeah, absolutely top shelf move. Albeit, though, the Bills play, not so much. <laughs> because for a team that is supposed to be, depending on what week it is, because I'll <sighs> also call out the sports media about this. MVP. MVP one week. Offensive player of the year. Worst team the next. This team doesn't have a consistent identity, and that's something that's going to come up quite often here. Mm -hmm. But the Bills took a game that they could have won, could have. However, where they are hurting the most is the inconsistent play calling on the offensive side of the ball. Boy, where have I heard that before? Yeah. This has been something that, unfortunately, is now the trademark for the team that I remember hearing reports this week that allegedly – the front office said they were still trying to figure out their identity on that side of the ball. Excuse me? I heard some nonsense. I did not personally hear this. I know Pat is looking this quote up. I did hear some nonsense about this, which absolutely blew my mind because it's week nine. If you don't know who you are by now, you're not going to know who you are for the rest of the season. Like, I'm sorry. Like, at this stage in the game, this is something that, Good Lord. That, I, that I really struggle with because the Bills took the loss 24 to 18 against those Cincinnati Bengals. Josh Allen for the Bills, two, uh, 26 for 38, 258, one touchdown, one egregious, should never have thrown the ball anywhere near his receiver at that said moment in the second quarter interception. Well, that's that old Brett Farman. Yep. Uh, on the ground, Josh, eight carries, 44 yards, one touchdown. James Cook. Six carries, 20 yards. Stefan Diggs, six uh, receptions, 86 yards, one touchdown. Did not break a sweat, as he said, too, allegedly. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of uh, sound bites coming from this game. I now understand the meme I saw Sunday night or uh, Monday morning uh, with regards to the Bills' offense, where it's, you know, I'm doing my part, I'm doing my part. Uh, so it was Josh Allen, I'm doing my part, you know, and then uh, with his stat line. Stefan Diggs, I'm doing my part. With his stat line, Dalton Kincaid, you know, I'm doing my part with his uh, 10 catches, 81 yards, no touchdowns. And then it was Gabe Davis. I didn't do fucking shit. Yep. Uh, zero catches, zero yards, two targets. Yeah, absolutely egregious. I now understand. Yeah, egregious uh, playing from the Bills offense on that side of the ball. Uh, on the flip of the coin, though, Joe Burrow, 31 for 44, 348, two touchdowns. Whew. Joe Mixon, 14 carries, 37 yards, one touchdown. T. Higgins. Holy shit. Eight catches, 110, 
and zero touchdowns. Tyler Boyd, three catches, 56 yards, zero touchdowns. Jamar Chase was open, but I guess somehow he didn't get the ball because four catches, 41 yards. On eight targets. Yep. So to break this game down, I mean, it's very, very simple. The Bills played atrocious when it came to two key elements of this game. Okay. The first and foremost is their defense. Mm. Now, I understand Sean McDermott has taken over play calling uh, this year. Okay. But what I don't understand, and this is something that was said by the media before the game, the Bills like to play zone. Mm-hmm. You can't play zone against this wide receiver core. It's unacceptable. You're, you're going to get torched every time. And that's exactly what they did. They went complete follow boy and they lit it up, lit it up. Right. Because Joe Burrow was on fire. Mm-hmm. And he was having his way with the defense. They completely ran down this field the first drive of the game. Right. And the thing is, when you're not putting enough pressure on their wide receivers, you're giving Burrow a lot of time. Mm-hmm. Albeit, though, there was one really questionable call. And we talked about the refs, and I'm calling this right down the middle here. Okay. There was a really questionable roughing the passer call. Okay. Because Joe had just thrown the ball, momentum had carried, and the Bills defender, I believe it was uh, Jordan Phillips, like had him in a bear hug okay. gently going down with him. Mm. And they called it as pass interfer- or roughing the passer. Right. And that was a momentum shifter. Right. So when you're giving Cincinnati opportunities like this, mm-hmm. it mean one, if you're a Bengals fan, you're loving this because right. this, this is something that is swinging momentum back in your team's favor. Right. If you're a Bills fan, this is very frustrating to see because there's a lot of things that, in my opinion, were, were egregiously called. There was another one that I don't care how you want to define it. It was an intentional grounding pa- pass that Josh did. Gabe Davis, ironically, was running up the sidelines and stopped. Well, Josh had heaved it downfield. Now, uh, depending on the interpretation of said rule, could Davis have made a play on it? No. But has that ever stopped it before if you're throwing in the receiver's direction? Right. That's the question I had with that call because, in my opinion, I don't think they should have called it because we've seen other circumstances where a receiver had been running, stopped, and the ball had sailed 20 yards past him, and the whistle was not called. Well, because I, I, I didn't watch the game I was watching. Netflix with my fiance. I I did just see the highlight because the thing with ESPN box scores is they show the videos on the right hand side. Mm-hmm. I did just see this, and I, and much like you, I'm taking my bias out of this. It looks like, and admittedly, the video's not the great. Oh, there we go. That's good quality. So he hikes the ball off. It he he's still in the in the uh, pocket. He's still in the in the pocket. Yeah, in the marks hash marks uh, that mark the lines. And I'm looking at operations.nfl. Dot com and this is specifically the rules for intentional grounding. Uh, it reads, it, it, is, it is a, quote, it is a foul for intentional grounding if a passer facing an imminent loss of yardage because of pressure from the defense throws a forward pass without a realistic chance of completion. A realistic chance of completion is defined as a pass that is thrown in the direction of and lands in the vicinity of an originally eligible receiver. Uh, and there goes a whole bunch of things. So, so I won't read through the whole thing. But if I'm not mistaken, for it to not be intentional grounding, he's got to be outside of the pocket, which I think is usually defined as the hash marks that are on the yard lines. Mm-hmm. He was still now. It, it, it's hard to see because where he was on the field right. was the logo at midfield. But if you look at where he was in conjuncture to the yard lines in front of him, because it's in the camera shot, it looks like he was still in the pocket. Right. 
So that's the argument I have with that because I'm like, how do you call that? Mm-hmm. Because yet again, that was another momentum shifter. Right. And I'm going watching this game, and I'm just like, okay, this is not making sense. And I understand you can make an you can make an argument. Sure, you can make an argument for every play. Guess what? Holding happens on every single play right. in the NFL. Right. It just depends on who gets caught. <laughs> yeah. So it's not to say the Bills are completely angels because they weren't. Right. But in this situation, that was a momentum shifter. And for a team that was really struggling to move the ball in the second half, they got away from this, and then they tried running, which I'm – I'm now kind of leaning more in the direction of Kent Dorsey's play calling. Which, I mean, running in the second half is good, but that's assuming you have the lead. Right. And you're trying to burn clock. But that was the whole situation. And at that point, they didn't. No, it was, uh, what was it, 21-7 to at halftime. Yeah, because the Bills were turning the ball over. Josh Allen was doing a lot more of the bad Brett Favre style of play. And like I say, the one he threw, and the defender is watching him the entire time. Uh Uh-huh. Like, you could not have had a more easy layup as a defender in your life. Right. So, yet again, Josh is trying to force something that's not there. Right. Because he feels some pressure. He's got to play a certain way. Well, and that's, you know, he. I'll look up when he got drafted because I forget what it is off sure. the top of my head. Uh, drafted in 2018. This has been something he, we've been saying with him for five years now. Yeah. That it comes a point in the play where – you got no receivers open. It doesn't matter how long you extend the play in which direction you run. The receivers are not going to get open. Mm-hmm. The logical thing is to just throw, throw it, it away. away. Throw it nine nine rows deep in the stands. Done, yeah. done, throw it to the ball boy on the sidelines. Like, who cares? Just get rid of it. Mulligan, come back and try again. But he doesn't. He instead tries to play Superman and extend the play, run left, run right, run back, run forward, try and run for a first down and Superman leap over somebody, or try and thread the needle into triple coverage or, or something stupid that like he's got no business making that like anybody looking at it goes, yeah, just, there's nothing there, throw it away. But yet he makes this whatever decision in his mind of, no, I'm going to play Superman and make the, the game-saving, game-tying touchdown pass on this one throw. Well, that's the problem that he's been doing, and, and but you see the flip of the coin. He does a, a pass out of bounds to get rid of the ball, and he gets called for intentional grounding. Yeah. Like, you can't win, and that's the situation here that I'm just going, this is where the refs, I thought, called a very bad game. Okay. Because it's not so much of helping the Bills, per, you know, like if you, if you want right. to say, like, okay, me being a Bills fan, you want to say it's helping per se. No. I want to see a call down the middle. Sure. But the problem is when you're doing this, you're doing this when the Bills are driving, and the optics are not lining up, in my opinion. Right. Because the question I would have is, why was there a blatant face mask penalty on one Gabe Davis as he's running to the end zone? Oh, they were missing those all. The rest were missing uh-huh. those all day. They were missing those all day. Right, but we're going to focus on a, a long shot intentional grounding. Mm-hmm. And like I say, I'm not giving an excuse to the Bills offense here, but I am blaming the refs on this aspect. I want to see more consistency out of them. With the Bills, I want to see more than we're just going to throw to Dalton Kincaid, who did what he could, but mm-hmm. also had a problem holding on to the ball too. Right, which that also played a crucial factor. And I and I really got to question McDermott being defensive coordinator and call the defensive it's too much. plays. It's too much. Well, just because, admittedly, I know he's been with Buffalo. I couldn't tell you if you ask me, you know, what he did before. So defensive I looked, coordinator. Well, I looked it up. He was with Philadelphia from 2001 through 2011, and he was in a various 
uh, positions, including assistant to the head coach, but he was also defensive. Mm-hmm. You know, so he was, he was with the Philly defense, in, 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 and in 2003, when they went up against the Patriots in the Super Bowl, that defense was nothing phenomenal in that Patriot game. You know, and then he was with the Carolina Panthers. He was with the defensive coordinator with the Carolina Panthers from 2011 to 2016. Okay, outside of Luke Keekley, can you name me any stellar dudes who were on the Panthers' defense in those years? That they were not known for deep. So it'd be one thing if it was like, you know, one of the legendary defensive coordinators of old going, oh, they're now a head, co- a head coach and they're, they're doing defensive calls, you know, you know, along with that. I'd be like, oh, okay, you know what? That makes sense. Mm-hmm. But when I look at who he played, who he was a coach for in the defenses then, and I think back to those, none of those were especially stellar. You don't really think of the Philadelphia defense from like the early to mid 2000s as vaunted and, and knock your teeth out outside of Brian Dawkins, you know, and what he did to Reggie Bush, you know, and and Carolina, the same thing can be said. Is he is he a good head coach? Yeah, he's not bad, but that helps with who he's got around him. But to fa- have him call defensive plays? Well, the thing is, I mean, for his Philly background, I, Philly has always had the blueprint that the late Jim Johnson set in place. Yeah. So, like I say, that one. I, I I am leaning more towards he has a lot better talent there. The Carolina one you can make the argument for. But at the same time, this is him just having too much on his plate. Yeah. And this is a problem for a head coach, and he's a good head coach. But this is a situation you need to get somebody in there to run the defense. Yeah, you do. But the defense is also getting hurt a lot. We saw this again happen when Micah Hyde was taken out late. And then there was a Terrell Bernard too. He was taken oh. out for a couple of plays. Like okay, they were just having more injuries catch up with them. So like I say, their defense is banged up and barely holding it together. So the right. fact they were still in this game says right. a lot. Right. But at the end of the day, it falls back on the offense not being able to get the job done, and you're seeing a lot more frustration coming out of this. Now this is not this whole Stefan Diggs wants to leave. Guess what? He can't because no. of the money involved with the contract. So he's fine, but it's just a point of I am right there with him. I'm frustrated we're losing right? because these are games that are winnable. It's something if we get blown out sure, that I understand. sure. But this is not a situation that they were blown out. They had chances to win, albeit, though, they just did not capitalize when they needed to capitalize. Uh, he is, so I looked it up, Stefan Diggs is in the second year of his four-year $96 million contract. Should note though, there is a potential out after the twenty, uh, right before the twenty twenty five season. So maybe, yeah, Could, it, it, you never know. If they want, there's to, a lot of time. There's a lot of time between now and then. But I think the problem that they're going to need to do is okay. Let's say they fired Dorsey. Sure. All right, who are you going to get in there as OC? And that's the question you're going to have to find because if you still can't get the run game going. Uh, week nine, nine games, one rusher over 100 yards. Yeah. Uh, although, admittedly, I will give Cook credit. He came close, uh, 98. Well, that's the whole situation there. They've, they've tried addressing it through the draft, and it's not working. Yeah. And I'm not saying you need to go out and try getting a Derrick Henry. The team's one, let's face it, as it stands right now, the team's one-dimensional because outside of that, you know, asterisk with with cook in week two against the raiders 123 and then 98 the week before you're not really afraid of their run game no 46 yards the first week then you had the two no 123 98 32 against miami that was murray allen himself was the leading rusher against jacksonville that was 14 cook was 71 cook with 56 cook was 67 and then allen this week with 44 yeah you're you're not like if they're if they come out in a set with no wide receivers, three tight ends, and a running back, 
it's pretty damn obvious what they're going to do. Exactly. So that's going to be the situation moving forward. And right now they're outside the playoffs looking in. I don't think it's going to get much better per se. I'm looking at their schedule. Oof. It, they have next, a, they have a, next couple of weeks, yes. Yes. After that, yikes. December is a brutal month. Yikes. Uh, so let's look at those schedules. Uh, starting with the team that won, you had the Cincinnati Bengals. Uh, they, this upcoming week, are at home against the Houston Texans. Then they're on the road playing the Baltimore Ravens. That one will be on Thursday Night Football on Prime Video. Then you've got them at home against the Pittsburgh Steelers. And then week 13, uh, they are on the road playing the Jacksonville Jaguars. That one will be on Monday Night Football. For those Buffalo Beals, uh, this upcoming uh, Monday, I should say, they are at home against the Denver Broncos. Uh, so that'll be on uh, ESPN and ABC. Week after that, they're at home against the New York Jets. Then they're on the road playing the Philadelphia Eagles. And then they've got a bye week. And since we brought it up and how brutal that fucking December is, they come out of the bye week. They're on the road playing the Kansas City Chiefs, at home against the Dallas Cowboys, on the road playing the Chargers, at home against the Patriots, and then they close out the regular season down in Miami playing the Dolphins. It's, Yikes. It's a brutal stretch. So if they get in, that's a big win. But I'll, I'll be honest. At the way they're playing right now. I wouldn't be real confident. No, bad Brett Favre is at the helm. And until Josh calms down and gets back to playing his style of football, mm-hmm. for whatever case he's trying to do something he's not comfortable doing, mm-hmm. the Bills are not going to make the playoffs. You know what I would do if I'm the Bills? Where did he go to college? Was it like Wyoming or yeah. something? Wyoming? Call up the quarterback coach. If if his quarterback coach is still with Wyoming, call up the quarterback coach from Wyoming and just have him talk with him for an afternoon. No, you know, he was working with, uh, if memory serves me right, and of course, hashtag ODPHPod if I'm wrong about this. He was working with the Philip Rivers head coach or uh, quarterback coach. Oh, God. So Yikes. No, but this is how he got his, his accuracy down because that's the only thing that he's always had issues with. Phillip Rivers, great in the regular season, postseason. Hmm. Well, it's a whole other story. Indeed. But like I say, he's got to get back on track and soon. Otherwise, the Bills season is going to be a long one here. Yep. Uh, so let's look, go around the league for the rest of the games. Uh, the Thursday night game will have the Pittsburgh Steelers defeat the Tennessee Titans 20-16. to Story of this one, fucking T.J. Watt. Holy shit. Yeah, this one was the TJ Watt show. Yeah, it was. Easy to say it. Will Levis, I mean, for, for Tennessee, hey, listen, he's playing solid. Yeah. Nothing else you can ask for him other than that, but the Steelers, surprisingly, pulled it out. Yeah, they did. Uh, you had the Kansas City Chiefs defeat the Miami Dolphins 21-14 to over in Germany. Uh, with this win, the Kansas City Chiefs becoming the first team in NFL history to win uh, games in four different countries. United States, Mexico, London, and Germany. I'm going to say this and hashtag me all you want. Miami is the Detroit Lions of the AFC. Facts. They're great offense, mid-defense, struggle against real contenders. Can't beat the contenders. Nope. So, you know what? It's nice if you have them on fantasy football, but other than that, them going to the Super Bowl is a fantasy. Uh I said what I said. Uh, Then you had the Minnesota Vikings pull off the win against the Atlanta Falcons, losing Taylor Haneke. Or not Taylor Haneke, excuse me. Uh, losing, oh, who the hell was it? Jaron Hall, I think, started this game for them. Uh, in the first quarter, went down with a concussion. In steps Josh Dobbs, who was traded for on, like, Wednesday or mm-hmm. Thursday, whatever the hell it was, was reported he didn't even know, the, hadn't learned the names of all the receivers. Didn't even know the full playbook. Still came in and led him to a victory. Holy shit. The feel-good story of the weekend. Absolutely. Like I say, kudos to Josh Dobbs. Came in clutch. And like a true professional. So now, listen, Minnesota 5-4. and four. 
Could they make a run? Could be. Possibly, because who is Atlanta? What is Atlanta? Atlanta took a big L. Yeah. And I'm hearing a lot of uh, disbelief, so to speak, about this one. And I'm, yeah. I'm, I'm sorry, Atlanta is is still rebuilding. Yeah. I know everybody is super high on Bijan Robinson, but I still haven't seen it. Right. I, I think all those week one trophies uh, for you know giving away the chip, I think, have to come back. Mm-hmm. And I think this Falcons team needs a lot of work moving yep. forward. So. Uh, then you had the Green Bay Packers beat the L.A. Rams 20-3. to I guess all they needed was some love. Uh, well, that and Matthew Stafford did not play. Uh, yeah. Matthew Stafford was out, uh, and the reading from the injury report on ESPN.com, quote, Coach Sean McVay said after Sunday's loss at Green Bay that Stafford, thumb, is making good progress as it pertains to gripping a football, but it wasn't anywhere to where we thought he would be able to go with us, to go for us week nine. Sarah Barship of ESPN.com reports, so... I mean, listen, it's a good win for Green Bay, but you had Brett Rifian start for Los Angeles at quarterback, fourth season out of Boise State. So I chalk it up to, hey, they played a good game, you know, but Brett Rifian ain't Matthew Stafford. True. So, hey, somebody had to win this game. Uh, then you had the uh, New Orleans Saints beat the Chicago Bears 24-17. to Man, I was hoping uh, Bagnet pull this out yeah I, I like i i'm he's trying his best and unfortunately, 220 and two touchdowns but three interceptions yeah that's the whole thing saints defense really stepped up giving problems all this game yep uh then you had the baltimore ravens beat the seattle seahawks 37 to 3 well i guess all the talk that baltimore was overrated uh went out the window uh yeah thanks for the bulletin board material holy smokes keaton mitchell for baltimore nine carries 138 yards rushing. Admittedly, 60 of them uh, were on one run, but yeah. still. One touchdown. One touchdown. Uh, Newsflash, he will be the hot fantasy pickup this week. Yeah, he will. So I need he, a tight end, so yeah, I'm not picking him up. Yeah, I was going to say, if you can go get him, go get him. But great win for the Ravens, a hard-fought battle. And I'd like to tell you what, Seattle is no slouch, but Mm-hmm. This looked like a tale of two different teams here. This yeah. week, even Lamar Jackson not putting up a touchdown. Yeah, did not need to. This is how good Baltimore looked, and yeah. they're getting scary at the right time. Indianapolis Colts beat the Carolina Panthers twenty-seven to thirteen. Well, somebody had to win. People had tickets. Yeah. Uh, then, oh boy, do you want to do this one first, or should we do the Patriots first? Let's do the Patriots first. Yeah, let's do the Patriots let's first. The Patriots we're first. Gonna, we're gonna end on a fun note. Oh boy! So the Washington Commanders beat the New England Patriots for the first time in twenty years. Yes, folks. Uh, admittedly, they don't play each other all that often, but the Washington Commanders had not beaten the New England Patriots since I was a freshman in high school. Oh man, I feel old. Two thousand three. Uh, winning by the final score of 20 to 17. Sam Howell, 29 of 45 uh, for 325 yards passing, one touchdown, one interception. Mac Jones, 24 of 44 for 220 yards passing, one touchdown, one interception. Ramondre Stevenson led New England in rushing with nine carries, 87 yards, just one touchdown. Brian Robinson Jr. led Washington in rushing with 18 carries, 63 yards, one touchdown. I swear it felt like more. Mm. Uh, Terry McLaurin led Washington in receiving with five catches, 73 yards, no touchdowns. And Demario Douglas led New England in receiving with five catches, 55 yards, and no touchdowns. This one, I will say, ultimately came down to, obviously with all the holes we have on defense, you know, that didn't help. Terry McLaurin was the MVP of this game because this dude was making third down conversions like you wouldn't believe. Mm-hmm. He made at least two, if not three, third down conversions he had no business making, but pulled it off somehow. 
You know, and then it ultimately came down to just the dumb mistakes by the Patriots late in the game where they were only down by three points. You know, and then it would it'd be, you know, they'd have the the uh, commanders close and, and ready to hold them on four downs and, and punt the ball back. But then a stupid penalty would give the commanders a, a fresh set of first downs and extend the game out. So, you know, is what it is. I was hoping for a win, you know, birthday being this week. But with the way this season's going, I'm not expecting all that much. Yeah, I mean... What can you say? Mac is not the guy. No, we, we've already established. I'm not. I'm not. No, to rain yeah. on your parade. Yeah, but I will flashes say flashes of brilliance. But you know, clearly he ain't got it. He doesn't have it. Your wide receiver core is atrocious. We don't even have a number one. Yeah, like I'd, you have a borderline two. Borderline Juju. Well, we, well, we had it. Schuster, well, yeah. no, no, we had a two, but he's on IR. Right, Kendrick Bourne. Well, that's what I say. Juju at this stage in the game, is a borderline two. Yeah. Border. He, he finally saw some decent action this week, six for 51. Yeah, but like I say, for the lineup that was in this game, yeah. there there was no yeah. number two. No. A lot of easy drop passes. Yeah. And that, yeah. and you can't do that. I'm sorry, you can't do that against any team. I'll say the highlight they had during this entire game was a 64-yard touchdown run Ramondre had, and that was off the fumble recovery the defense got. Yeah. So – there really isn't anything to write home about no. Patriots. It's not your year. No. You know, think about the draft at this stage. I mean, and but this is not being smart. This is just I'm being honest. Is there's nothing to be excited about with this team right now except the possibilities for next year. We know Belichick's coming back as head coach. We do. Uh, and if you go to tankathon.com slash NFL, currently the top five draft picks as we currently uh, record are Arizona at the one, Chicago at the number two by way of a trade with Carolina. Uh, three was also the Chicago Bears. Four is the New York Giants, and then the Patriots. Number five. Well, you know it's better to be five than four, so to speak. Yeah. Because let's talk about that game to end things. Holy fucking Christ! Ooh. So the Raiders are playing the Giants on Sunday at home in Las Vegas, and there was already a lot of bulletin board material with this one. Yep. Because during the week, Josh McDaniels was fired by the Oakland. No, not Oakland. The Las Vegas Raiders. Uh, and, and linebacker coach Antonio Pierce would be taking over head coaching duties. So reading from an article on CBSnews.com, it says, quote, some details are coming out about the end of Josh McDaniels tenure in Las Vegas and a dispute over the 2007 Patriots was apparently a part of the process. Fox Sports' Jake Glazer reported Sunday that after a team-wide airing of grievances, then-linebackers coach Antonio Pierce addressed the team and referenced the mindset that his 2007 Giants team had. That team, of course, beat the undefeated Patriots in Super Bowl XLII. Apparently, McDaniels, who was the offensive coordinator for the Patriots in 2007, didn't appreciate that story, and that disagreement helped spur the end of McDaniels and the promotion of Pierce to interim head coach. Here's the story as Glazer told it, quote, the big thing was last Thursday. There was a big airing of grievance meeting and players just unloaded on Josh McDaniels from captain to captain to player to player. And finally, Josh McDaniels actually had Antonio Pierce get up and speak on behalf of him and the coaches. When Antonio Pierce got up there, he said, look, guys, we have to have our own control. It's got to be up about culture here, and we also have to look at it. And he brought up the old Giants team that beat the Patriots, Josh McDaniels' team in the Super Bowl in the 2007 season. He said no matter who we played, we thought we could beat them. We had we had a game plan that we could beat them. We had to believe that, and that's not here. We have to believe it, believe it here at the Raiders that we can beat anybody. Well, he finishes up that speech 
Everybody thinks they're great except for Josh McDaniels. Josh McDaniels then goes over to him and says, don't ever talk about the Patriots like that. (laughs) And then you really saw how divided that building got. That got up to Mark Davis, and I think Mark Davis looked at it and said, okay, I'm going to choose the guy who believes that we can win every single week, and that's what his plan is going to be. Close quote. I love Antonio Pierce. I love the energy he was bringing. I'll be honest. They named him as head coach, and I didn't have time to look it up. I'm like, why the fuck does that name sound so familiar? That's why. Yeah. Giants name. He gave his press conferences leading up to this game priceless. Yeah. Like, everything you want thinking the Raider mentality. This dude also is nothing to fuck around with because at one point during this game, you know, like we mentioned, Ray, so the Raiders beat the Giants 30-6. to six. But it, but at halftime, it was 24 to nothing. And by the end of the third quarter, it was 27 to nothing. And the guys in the booth went down to sideline reporter uh, Laura Oakman, and she told the story about uh, Pierce being a, a head coach for a, a high school in uh, California. And she said, quote, I just want to say that 27 to nothing isn't enough for him. Because up 63-9 to at halftime, Long Beach Poly High School head coach Antonio Pierce didn't like how the team looked. So instead of going into the locker room, he took them behind the field and they ran for 20 minutes. Gassers. They got a delay of game penalty They were because they were late for kickoff, but they ended up winning 99-9. to Back me up, guys. I brought up the story to Antonio. He didn't crack a smile saying, quote, it's about doing it right, man. Close quote. Yeah, he's going to be fine as with the Raiders. Yeah. The Raiders are still in that playoff hunt. Like, that's the one thing people don't realize. They're four and five, sure. Yeah. But it's not to say they couldn't make a run. They could make some noise. And that's going to be the key thing if he's going to get rehired, which I, I'm going to say this. If and Granted, they played the worst team in football. I don't think there's any question about it. The Giants are the worst. Yeah, Daniel Jones done for the year because of injury. Uh Tyrod Taylor not available for this game because he's also insured. So Tommy DeVito had to come into the game. Uh, 15 to 20, 175 yards passing, one touchdown, two interceptions. So the Giants are down to their third string quarterback. I don't know who their do their backup is on uh, practice squad, but they'll be calling it. They'll be calling him up at Tyrod. Yeah, Tyrod's on IR. They're going to have to call up their practice squad guy if they've got a guy on practice squad. Yeah, they'll, they'll find somebody just to fill the roster spot. They're going to have to. But I'm sorry, Arizona being scoreless this week was still a better team than the Giants putting up six against the Raiders. Yeah. The Raiders looked like the Raiders of old. Yeah, they did. They looked fantastic. Just they, win, baby, win. Yeah, well, that's the whole thing, that they need that swagger back. And they haven't had that forever. Josh McDaniels is not a head coach. I'm sorry. He's, no. He's not. No. The only thing he did was somehow got Tim Tebow to win a playoff game. Was the right place at the right time, and he got lucky. Right, but still. That's the only thing that is forever going to be his trademark. For his, his head coaching highlight is the Tim Tebow playoff win against the Steelers. Yeah, exactly. That's what I said. That's it. Yeah, He has nothing else. He has done nothing else well, of hey, importance. Hey, hey, listen. You put respect on the greatest head coach in Indianapolis Colts history. <laughs> fair, fair. How many, look, look at how many games he won. Dude's undefeated. That's true. Never lost. But in the situation here, I'm sorry. He was never a good fit for the Raiders. And like I say, the fact that Pierce can come in, get this out of the performance out of the team at this stage. They're going to be scary moving forward, but they need some work. I'm not saying playoffs are a lock, mm-hmm. but I'm at least saying they're going to be in that hunt to week 15, week 16. Right. As long as they play smart. The Giants, on the other hand, I'm sorry, season's a wrap. Mm-hmm. It's done. I feel very bad for Daniel Jones. 
I mean, obviously his season is done with a torn ACL, I believe. Yeah, yep, yep. And I think there, if I'm the Giants, there's going to be a massive cleaning of house. Mm-hmm. And I know this might be a tough pill for Giants fans to swallow because last year, well, you guys got were, lucky. We got lucky, but you surprised teams. There's always a team in the league that does this each and every year. Congratulations, you had one year. Everybody figured it out. Mm-hmm. You're not Philly. You're not Dallas. You're not winning your division. Hell, Washington's better than you. Yeah. Just putting that out there. Yeah. Moving forward. Enjoy the offseason. Start planning for the draft. You guys are done. And, but, like I say, the big take-home is just win, baby. The Raiders look like they're back. The other thing, too, we should mention is the Raiders also fired their general manager. Champ Kelly is now their uh, interim general manager. Uh, was with the Dem- was with the general manager with the Lexington Horsemen, uh, who is an indoor foot was an indoor fo- uh, football team, uh, and then he was with the Denver Broncos from 2007 through 2014. Moved over to director of pro scouting for the Chicago Bears. Was with the Bears from 2015 through 2021, uh, and joined the Raiders in 2022. Like I say. They have a bright future moving forward. Well, on paper. We'll see what happens. But that's why I say we watch the games. That's why we talk about the games. So let's keep that conversation rolling. Hit us up on that hashtag, hashtag ODPHpod. What is your thoughts about week nine of the NFL? Let's discuss, shall we? We're going to take a quick break. We'll be right back. Hello, Internet. It's that time of year again. We at the Game Vault Podcast will be raising money for the Children's Hospital of Philadelphia. Yes, that's right. It is the Game Vault Podcast's eighth annual charity live stream. This year, our main marathon will be split over two Saturdays. Our first 12-hour block will be in person on Saturday, November 11th. And the second block will be taking place virtually on Saturday, November 18th. We will be playing all types of games from many different genres, including Immortality, the Jackbox Party Pack, and Call of Duty, as well as some extra-life classics such as Halo, Mario Kart, and a WWE game or two. Both streams are tentatively scheduled to begin at 9 a.m. Eastern and will broadcast on our Twitch channel, twitch.tv slash gameballpod. We look forward to you joining us and helping us raise money for the kids. Back for another segment on this edition of the ODPH Podcast, and we have to talk a little WWE action. Yeah. So this past weekend, Pad, what was going down? Uh, That would be the annual, or well, can't even call it annual. It's the second one this year. Uh, Crown Jewel event taking place from over in Saudi Arabia. Yes, so this one had really garnered a lot of hype. Uh-huh. And we always say that these are very special shows, like a signature event like Impact Wrestling. Yeah. It's obviously not one of the big pay-per-views, but the one thing they've been doing as of late with Crown Jewels is they've been really stacking the cards. Yeah. More so, in my opinion, than in recent years. Well, remember there was the one year, I think it might have been the first year they went, or maybe the second, where they put every title is going to be on the line. It was Night of Champions. Okay. I I couldn't remember if it was Night of Champions or it was like Night of Champions, just without the name. Yeah. But they did, they did, you know, every title was on the line. And you're like, holy shit, you know, every title is not going to change hands, but you got to figure at least some of them will. No, every single title holder defended. And retain their belt. So it was like, yeah, okay. Mm -hmm. But this time, there was a lot of intrigue going on with a special uh, few matches that really were standing out on the card. Yeah. So we have to recap the event in whole. So let us get into it, shall we? Uh, Yeah, so the first match that took place during this event was on the pre-show, and you had Sami Zayn defeat J.D. McDonough of the I Want to Be in the Judgment Day faction uh, via pinfall in 9 minutes and 40 seconds. Nothing really right home about this one. Yeah, it was a good pop for Sami. Yep. Great pop for Sammy. Uh, J.D. McDonough is filling in the role of Dolph Ziggler. 
yes. as the best bumper. I don't know. Rhea Ripley's going to give a run for the money on that one. Rhea's great, too. but Rhea sold like crazy. J.D. doing the one spot out of the turnbuckle Yeah, uh, where he did a flip in midair. Yeah. That, that I got to give him credit for that. I mean, it was overselling as all could be. But listen, it did what it needed to do. Sammy got the big win to kick off the show. Yeah. Yep. And then we we started off with a, a match that I was not surprised we did when it was all said and announced. But yeah. Definitely a lot of headlines coming out of this one. Yeah, so the first card on the main show was for the uh, singles matchup for the World Heavyweight Championship, and Seth freaking Rollins defended his belt and defeated Drew McIntyre via pinfall in 18 minutes and 20 seconds. Great match. This was awesome. You know, Drew and Seth had really good timing. Yeah. Everything really flowed well. Yeah. It, like, and I'm going to just use the comparison. It was like with Kurt Angle and Kane. Mm-hmm. Like I say, just everything went well. Yeah. And especially seeing the chemistry they had, told a really good story. I am kind of curious if they're waiting to take the belt off of Drew, or I mean Seth, to give it to Drew at Survivor Series. I could see it. Yeah. That's, I mean, because I, mean, I figured this match would have opened up with Drew instantly hitting a claymore. Like like one of those instances, like the route, well, not the route, the announcers doing the, you know, big fight feel, mm-hmm. you know, announcement. And because Drew, they, they said in the promo package that it, from uh, when he initially challenged him. You know, oh, you know, I want you at 100%. And, uh, you know, I'm not going to stab you in the back. But I, I figured it'd be, hey, listen, he's going to be honorable and upfront with you when it comes time to get up to the match. But once once you get in that ring, all bets are off. So I figured it'd be one of those, oh, he's going to hit him with a claymore out the gate. Mm-hmm. Didn't happen. But, you know, the match itself was good. The ending, I will admit to this whole segment, I guess you could say, it was a bit of a sour grape for me. Oh, so? Yeah, so you get the match. You get the win. Okay. And I figured big feel big crowd it's supposed they're trying to hype it up as one of their big shows of the year so i figured we would get and i think we even talked about this in last week's show or one of the previous shows about how there'd be a cash-in because mm-hmm. uh what is it um damien, damien priest. priest still has you know the money in the bank briefcase i figured all right if there's gonna be a place to do it this would make the most sense because if you don't do it now they're not going to do it next month at, at survivor series they're, they might do it, you know, at Elimination Chamber, you know, down in Australia. But, like, it, that's going to be waiting a while and, and all this other stuff. So I figured if it was going to happen, it was going to happen here. Mm. And then uh, it's all uh, matches over with Seth looking all beaten and battered because they're still selling. He, oh, his back is hurting. And then the, the Judgment Day's music hits. And out comes Priest. And he's got the, he's got the ref in tow. And he tells the ref, you know, I'm cashing in and I'm going to beat his ass right now, here and now. And the ref is in the process of telling the uh, timekeeper and the announcer, hey, you know, Damian Priest is cashing in, you know, his money in the bank, you know, he's in the middle of saying the whole spiel, when out comes a hooded figure. And I'm sitting there going, oh, shit, who is this? Oh, I wonder who this could be. And I ended up being Sammy Sandwich. I'm like, oh, hey, cool. It's, you know, Sammy stealing the briefcase. You know, but he stole a brief- But it, it just left a sour taste in my mouth because I figured at least, you know, we'd get the cash in. You know, during the match, make it a triple threat and shenanigans into a la what happened with Seth, Roman, and Brock at WrestleMania a couple of years ago, you know, and get some shenanigans that way and, and lead to, you know, continuing Drew versus Seth or getting Drew, uh, Seth versus Damien or Drew versus Damien, like however you wanted to work it. But just the way it played out, like it was cool for the fans. I was happy for the fans to get their Sammy moment and him stealing the briefcase, which. As of this recording, I think Sammy still has. We haven't seen anything about Judgment Day getting that briefcase back. But just the way it happened after the bell went kind of left a sour taste in my mouth. Well, that's fair. 
I think the only reason, though, that it didn't bother me as much is I think I know where they're going with Sammy now. Mm. And I think we're going to have a nice little Sammy Damian Priest feud. Oh, okay. Which is, I'm perfectly fine with yeah, Sammy. Yeah, no, I'm fine with Sammy that. Owens, or, <laughs> Sammy Owens. Sammy Zayn going back into the singles realm after uh, the breakup with him and Kevin Owens as a tag team. I think this is a great way to kind of buy some time. Could be, yeah. Until they decide what they want to do exactly with Damian Priest. The Judgment Day as a whole, I think, is very, very interesting. Oh, yeah. Right now. Very. Because you have the dynamic of of Drew McIntyre. Will he join? Will he not? I'm in the camp of he will. Right. Like I said, I could see it happening. For, For me, and this is nothing against what the Bloodline's doing, but just because of how infrequently Roman is there, which, mm. hey, listen, he's he's earned that. You know, he's put in the work, you know. But just with as inconsistent and start-stop as that whole storyline is, Judgment Day stuff is more intriguing to me. Yeah, no, it definitely is, and there's a lot more you can run with it here. Yeah. So if they want to add a, some new dynamics to it, like Sammy and Drew, I think it's a good thing. But the yeah. only problem with Sammy, though, is we've, we've already been doing this for so long. Yeah, we've been doing it since, like, WrestleMania. So unless you put the stipulation on, like, Damian puts the contract up on the line. Right. Then right. I, then I got to kind of wait and see. But at least it gives him some kind of direction, gets him away from the whole Jey Uso thing right now. Yeah, yeah. For right now, we'll kind of have to wait to see how it goes, though. Uh, next up was a fatal five-way matchup for the Women's World Championship. Uh, you, of course, had Rhea Ripley defending her belt against Nia Jax, Raquel Rodriguez, Shayna Baszler, and Zoe Stark. Uh, and you had Rhea Ripley emerging victorious, winning via pinfall in 11 minutes and five seconds. Fantastic match. Good match. Really dug this match. I feel, you know, kind of little bummed, you know, we didn't see title change. You know, because I figured we'd see a title. If, if we saw a title change with any of them, I figured it'd either be the last one or this one. Mm-hmm. You know, because obviously the guarantee was going to be spoiler alert: the United States won. You know, but I, I figured there might be a title match, shot, a title change with this, but not eh, okay. Yeah, no, I agree with you. Like, I, like I say, I'm still saying Shayna Baszler is going to be the one to take it off of Rhea. Okay, at some point, I, yeah, I could see it. But we have to wait and see because there's there's a lot of like rumors of more people coming to WWE right mm-hmm. now, and if one is true, I could see. Th- her taking the title. Okay. And that is a speculation that Julia is on her way. Uh, yeah, I've heard that. Yeah. My, so- my guess, though, is just based on, and we'll get to why I think she's going to SmackDown uh, in about one, two, three matches. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm, I'm betting if they end up signing her, she'll go to SmackDown. She could go to SmackDown. I could see that happening. Or Jade Cargo. Like, I think that's, they're, they're, that's my money bet. Yeah, like I say, one of the two is going to take the belt. Because which... you, you just added one more uh, women's wrestler to SmackDown. Presumably, from all reports and, and sounds, that Julia is going to, from the way the reports are sounding, Julia is going to be at the Performance Center before the end of the month. Yeah, which. Which it, it sounds like she's a lock to go to WWE. But until, but until we see it announced, take it for a grain of salt. Exactly. You know, so don't come yelling at us when it hits December 1st and she's not signed with them. They're like, hey, we're reading reports. She might be going there, but it, it, we'll see what happens. Right. So, I mean, you have to wait and see. Like I say, otherwise, I think it's Shayna Baszler's yeah, to take. Yeah. But. Great match, nevertheless. Yeah. I mean, Rhea, Rhea does no wrong right now. Nope. She's, she's running WWE. Uh, then you had Solo Sokoa defeat John Cena in a singles match uh, in 16 minutes and 10 seconds. Yeah, this was wild. They really sold this as, like, his retirement match. And you know what? It makes sense. Which which could be the case because as reports are swirling out of Hollywood, it sounded like the uh, Screen Actors Guild strike might be coming to an end soon. Right, so John Cena is going back to the land of film, and right. like I thought, depending on what was going to happen, he'd either still win to extend the feud, 
But this is a great win for Solo. I mean, yeah. I'll be 11 spikes, so if I'm not mistaken. <laughs> Something like that, yeah. I mean, insane, but it definitely, it, you know, it's like John Cena of old. Like, right. You know, you have him with like five, six finishers. Yeah. So the fact this happened, I think it's a very cool moment to see play yeah. out. Yeah, And I'm definitely interested to see, like, where they go with Solo now. Because well, I, I think they might be setting him up for his own singles run. Because they brought up at the end of this match, you know, about they mentioned and I'm paraphrasing, but him stepping out of the shadow and establishing himself. Yeah, like I could definitely see it. It's just a matter of where they want to go. But their mid card right now is so booming. Right. Like he'd be a great fit if he wants to go into a singles route there. Right. I just don't know where they want to go. But it's like that's a great thing. He can go literally any direction. Right. But this is a huge win for him. Definitely puts him on the map in front of a lot of the WWE universe that might have still had the jury is still out kind of feel to right. it. Right. Well, because you think about it, it's been over a year now he's been on the main roster and he's just been doing segments with the Bloodline, which yeah. makes total sense when you when you look at it because he is the Usos' younger brother, so he is related to Roman Reigns and he is in the Bloodline, you know, in the family tree. So it makes all the sense in the world. But you kind of got to sit there and go, all right, can he really, unless you watched NXT and you saw his NXT stuff, if you didn't watch NXT, you're kind of sitting there going, okay, he's he's kind of riding the coattails of the Oos, of his older brothers in Roman and his cousin. Yeah. Can he really go? And to me, hey, listen, it, does Cena still have it? Yeah. Can he go as well as he did 5, 10, 15 years ago? Now, he's, no. He's lost a step, but Father Time is undefeated, folks. Right. But he showed and held his own against Cena. Exactly. So it's a big step forward for him, depending on where they want to go. Yeah. That's the beauty of wrestling. Like, this was a great win, and now there's a lot more doors open. Yeah. Uh, Next up was a singles matchup for the WWE United States Championship, where you had Rey Mysterio defending his belt against Logan Paul. And in 17 minutes and 55 seconds, you had Logan Paul emerge victorious, winning via pinfall to become your new uh, United States champion. I will say this. Most predictable moment of the night? Absolutely. Yeah. Most predictable, but there's something that if you really watch wrestling, you have to applaud Logan Paul. He has got the most ridiculous creator wrestler moveset. Right, but it's not that. He did one thing that, like I say, if you really follow wrestling, uh-huh. you give him all the props in the world. Rey Mysterio went for a moonsault. Yes. Off the second rope, I want to say. Something like that, yeah. Or maybe it was from the corner. I can't even remember. It. But does that point doesn't matter. Yeah, yeah. Moonsault came up short. Mm-hmm. Logan was attentive enough to catch him early. Like, forget the move, did the right thing. Otherwise, Ray probably would have broke his neck. Yeah, he, yeah, he caught him. That was, that was good on his part. And for being somebody that, okay, let's face it, Logan Paul, say what you will about him. As a person, yeah. But as somebody that understands the business and respect level, yeah, did the right thing here. Major points in my book about oh, this. Oh, yeah. No, I, I looked up because I saw this on Reddit, so I can't take credit for this. But he has the most ridiculous moveset I've ever seen. It's like a creator wrestler moveset. Mm-hmm. GTS. Buckshot Lariat. He do, he does the uh, Hangman Adam Page corner clothesline spot. Does it better than him? Uh, does the more bang for your buck, and then he does the flipping top rope fall away slam. Like what the fuck? This guy's insane. It's it's crazy what he can do for being a part time wrestler. Like let's be honest, that's what he is. Yeah, but he gets it enough, and he's that athletically gifted mm-hmm. that yeah, for him to do this and being. 
in a position where he's now going to bring another audience to the product. Mm-hmm. He now has a belt, so he will be on TV more. Oh, that belt is going to be with him everywhere. Exactly. This is nothing but win for WWE. It's a lot of free exposure because mm-hmm. you don't got to pay him for it. Exactly. And you know what would even be better is who they set up to take it from him. Mm. Because I got a hunch. Yeah. Uh-huh. Exactly. Uh, he, I, I'm going to say this. because who can, who can beat a megastar but a superstar? Right. You can write that angle. And, yep. it, and it works. Yep. I don't think it's going to be him, though, because I we, we will get to him a little later in the show. Yep. But I have my feelings where he's going. Uh, next up was a singles matchup for the WWE Women's Championship, where you had Io Sky defend and retain her belt, beating Bianca Belair via pinfall in 16 minutes and 35 seconds, although not without some help. No, definitely not. So it was expected and kind of alluded to that uh, Bailey wouldn't be there because she got put through a table uh, the night previous on uh, SmackDown, although spoiler alert, that was taped a week prior, so plenty of time to recuperate uh but bailey showed up tried to run interference but then finally making her return appearance has been as has been rumored for a little bit of time i don't want to say quite some time but a couple of months maybe about a month or so uh but returning to wwe the pirate princess the best elbow drop since macho man randy savage himself Kyrie sane yeah big moment seeing her back uh really surprising that she's back as a heel but I'm based off of what I'm hearing. I'm not surprised. Yeah. Like I say, there's oh, a boy, there, which is if, if true. Like I say, I, I am excited to see this new direction, <laughs> but it kind of threw me for a loop at first. But now with a lot of rumors about possible damage controls splitting up and a oh, new yeah. faction forming. Oh, yeah. I, if rumors are it's going to be EO Kyrie. I've heard rumors. Asuka. I like it's. I've heard mixed of it. Oscar will, Oscar won't, and then I know uh, Saray, who was with NXT but left, was rumored that she might be rejoining the company. She signed with somebody else, not a. Yeah, yeah, she signed somebody else. Somebody else, not not AEW, not TNA. You know, um, you know. Not, it was another promotion. Another promotion, but then you mentioned uh, the one from earlier is, is rumored. But yeah, no, they're they're building a faction of of Japanese wrestlers, and it's going to be amazing. Oh, uh, it, it, it's it's crazy. So yeah. like, the is like I say, just seeing Kyrie back. That's oh, huge. I was I was super excited because like I said, she's got the best elbow dro- uh, elbow drop of from uh, since Randy Savage. Yeah, and they need to do something with damage control. Like I think at this yeah. stage, they yeah. they need to do some kind of different dynamic. But well, like, it do- and it, I mean, it doesn't help that Dakota Kai's been out injured, right? And but that I'd like I say that does hurt. Yeah. So now with Kyrie in the mix, I mean, this definitely has my attention. Because you think about it, damage control has been you know kind of running roughshod over the women's division in WWE on both shows for the better part of over a year now i mean what if sasha banks returns listen don't give some folks hope that'd be nuts i'm just saying that'd be yeah we could see it because i mean maybe not sasha banks but mercedes monet because Mm. well endeavor is a new company that's true vince ain't in control planting that out there folks we'll see uh next up uh was a singles match where cody rose defeated damian priest via pinfall in 11 minutes and five seconds not gonna lie yeah. My least favorite match of the night. Okay. This did not feel special. Yeah. Or, or this felt like I was watching this, this, TV. And I, this, and I hate saying it because I like both of these guys, this felt like a, a bathroom break. Yeah. This this felt like an, okay, we know people are super excited because of what happened in the match previous. 
obviously with the main event, everyone's going to super excited for that. We need a moment for the crowd to calm down. So they're not burnt out for the main event, but this felt like an, okay, we need the crowd to calm down match. Yeah. I mean this, honestly, I felt like I was watching Monday night raw. Yeah. There was nothing memorable, like to make it a wow moment. Like, Oh man, this match. Yeah. And I mean, (laughs) the only memorable moment I'm remembering is, is the three crossroads Cody hit on Damien. Yeah. Which I know some people were like, Oh, why are you making it? So Cody's got to hit multiple crossroads on Damien Priest. And people are like, uh, he had to hit the same number against QT Marshall on AEW. Exactly. He's been doing this for a while. This is nothing new. No, he's, he's putting over Damien because Damien's going to be in that world title picture within Uh the next six months. Still got the briefcase. Exactly. Although admittedly it's not in his legal possession. Right. But like I say, by the time we get to mania, he's going to be in that conversation. Not yep. not saying he's going to be winning the belt from Seth, but he's going to be in that conversation. Yeah. Uh, and then we got to talk about the main event, which was Roman Reigns defending his belt, uh, the undisputed WWE Universal Championship against L.A. Knight. Yeah. Uh, and he, Roman, obviously retained it, defeating L.A. Knight via pinfall in a match that was under a half hour, only 20 minutes and five seconds. Which seems outrageous for you to say when you think about it. 20-minute match. Roman's been averaging like 25. And credit to Rich on this. Roman's been averaging like 25, 30 minutes a uh, match his last couple. Well, I think in this situation, they didn't need to tell a lot of a story. No. And I think that they can definitely go some places now with it. The big thing was, and much like we talked about on Wrestling Night Live on YouTube, uh, every Thursday night, 8 p.m. Eastern Standard Live. Mm-hmm. We have a situation with L.A. Knight that some in the internet community, okay, and note how I'm wording that, okay, think he should be the guy to beat Roman. And the argument that I stated and, and Rich has stated, and I know we've talked off air about this, uh-huh. L.A. Knight has never won a singles title to my knowledge. Uh, not that I've ever heard of. And, in fact, I tag team is debatable. But at least not in WWE. Right. Like I say, the closest he's had is the million-dollar title. Right. Which was a prop title. Yeah. Let's not forget. Yeah. So to have him go over arguably the greatest champion in the last 30, 40 years. Oh, and yeah, it's in that conversation. You're, you're asking a lot. And I think that what they did was smart. Because what WWE Endeavor did, mm-hmm. okay, how big of a draw is LA Knight? Right. We're going to put him on a main event at a premium live event. Mm-hmm. We're going to see how much he connects with the audience, what he can do in this main event spotlight. Right. And then we're going to see about going into WrestleMania season where he fits in. Right. Because, I mean, ultimately, the thing you got to figure out is, you know, once you know, everybody loves the chase, yeah. But once it gets time for the belt, and they have the belt, are the folks still gonna be there? Mm-hmm. You know, we've seen this time and time again in every promotion where a guy is on that climb, almost gets to the mountaintop, but then you know stumbles and has to climb back up again. You know, or whatever the obstacle is. And then once they get the belt, some guys, you know, they stick around and they're here for him, and the and the fans are excited and they're into it. And then others, they get bored of it real quick. Yeah. The fans, LA Knight is one of the most over stars they've got on their on their roster. Right? He's top 10 in, in merch sales, you know, for the year, you know, and, and, and deservedly so. It, it's a great gimmick. It's a catchy catchphrase. 
There's another one he could start using that uh, he wants. To, I know he wants to work in organically, you know. But if he gets that one going, boy, that's going to be another rocket attached to it, mm-hmm. you know. But it, it they've got to figure out. Okay, is this going to be a continued sustained thing, or is this just a flash in the pan? They're here for the buildup, but they're not here for the execution. And I think that's the question mark you have now. But I think what they the results here was. Great match. Yeah. Obviously, Jimmy Uso involvement. Yeah, yeah. You know, what are you going to have? Yeah. But you can now set him on a collision course with one of two champions. Yep. One of which, Logan Paul, like you alluded to. Uh Uh-huh. And that would put him over very, very big in the spotlight. Mm Mm-hmm. But where I think he's going, and I know this is going to be a long, messy road to get there, but I think it's possible. Okay. He's going to be the guy that beats Gunther. He could. I mean, there's a little hiccup you have with that. Right, different shows. Well, no, well, not only that, but Gunther's got a visa issue where he can't leave the country. Right, but... For the next... And that's for, like, the next six months. So if you do that, it's got to be at one of the domestic pay-per-views. Right. Which is doable. I mean, but but I feel like, they, you know, they want to save maybe one of those moments for maybe when they, if you can keep it on him that long, they got the Berlin show, which God, that's a fucking while. Mm-hmm. But if you can keep the belt on him through the, to the Berlin show, you know, cause that'd be, that'd be awesome for him. Yeah. I mean, you could do a lot of different things, but that's why I say like if LA Knight beats Gunther, right. Made man. Oh yeah. Well, whoever he beats, he's a made man. Right. But do you think about it? There's only one other person that could win the Intercontinental title right now, and it makes sense. Yeah. Jey Uso. Jay, yeah, Jay. You, you, that's the only two options you have. I mean, I I could see them giving it to Gable, but I wouldn't expect it to be very long. G- it, it, it'd be kind of like a uh, placeholder. Gable could, but, you know, at the same time, it's tough. Yeah. Like I say, it's not out of the realm, but, you know, to make that jump up there. Gable, I don't think, has won over the fans in that degree. Yeah, no, I agree. Much like how L.A. Knight and Jey Uso has. Like, not saying you're wrong. Right, right, right. But to sustain it, because I think that you would, it, it would be tough to have the audience, like, unless we see a big surge in merch and sure, and, and, sure, and, sure. and such. I just, I don't see it happening with with Gable. But I, I will say this. I love how they're positioning him. Oh, yeah. And I love how they're setting it up. So, like, I mean, let's let's face it, the hottest thing going with Gable and Alpha Academy right now is Akira Tozawa. Yeah, which, <laughs> the man's facing Shinsuke Nakamura this week on Monday Night Raw. I know. I, I love Tozawa with him. Uh huh. I'm I'm all on board with this. But I mean, like I say, just to tie it back, I think that's where LA Knight's going now, yeah. and especially. You take a look at every great champion. Mm-hmm. They've held a mid card title at one point, at least once. Yeah, before they've gone up. I mean, very rarely have you had somebody. Just jump up. Like, not everybody's Brock Lesnar. Well, Finn did it for 24 hours. Right. But Finn was also NXT champion. True. True. So. Uh, and I did look it up. This is the this was the shortest match Roman has had since Elimination Chamber. Uh, or no, not Elimination Chamber. It was the shortest one since, where the heck is it? Oh, since the uh, Royal Rumble this year. Mm. So he had the SummerSlam match with Jey Uso. That went 36 minutes, three seconds. Money in the Bank, uh, where it was the tag match with him and Solo versus Jimmy and Jay, that went 32 minutes. Uh, then you had Night of Champions, where it was also the tag match. That one went 26 minutes. Uh, you know, still still over that 25-minute mark. Uh, then you had WrestleMania Night 2 against Cody, where that obviously went 34 minutes. Then you had the Sami Zayn match at Elimination Chamber. That one went 32 minutes. Uh, but the match against Kevin Owens at the Royal Rumble, 19 minutes and 12 seconds. Hmm. So, uh 
Shortest match since then. But you know what? Still told the story. Still did, it did. what it needed to do. Yeah. And now we wait to go to Survivor Series. And Which has been officially confirmed as being what, Ken? War Games! Was rumored, was insinuated, and was allegedly bounced back and forth as whether it would be, whether it wouldn't be. But when it was officially announced uh, during the show on Saturday that it will be taking place from the uh, Allstate Arena in Chicago, Illinois, uh, specifically in Rosemont, Illinois. Uh, but it will be Survivor Series. War Games. Yep, so we'll see who the two, because t- oh, you got to figure they're doing a men's, they're doing a women's War Games match, so we'll see what, how it plays out. Team Punk. Oh, my God. It's going to happen, folks. Uh, according to reports, the show was already sold out, and then they started opening up more seats. I mean, I'm hearing a lot of different stuff I'm not going to go on air with concerning tickets. Right. I'm just going to say this. If you have the opportunity to go. And you got the money. Go. Uh huh. Otherwise, make sure you're checking out both Wrestling Night Live on YouTube and the ODPH podcast because, boy, are we going to have a lot to say about that event uh-huh. as the weeks grow on. But in the meantime, though, hit us up on that hashtag, hashtag ODPHPod. What is your thoughts coming out of WWE Crown Jewel? Are you excited at the direction where your favorite wrestler is going, or do you think they did a misstep? What's your thoughts about Logan Paul, Kyrie Sane, and so many more? Let's talk about it, shall we? We're going to take a quick break, though. We'll be right back. Hey guys, it's Alan Dufford here from Top Hat Studios, co-writer and co-creator of Pocus Hocus and Grandma Chainsaw, and you guys are listening to the ODPH Podcast. Coming back for the final segment on this edition of the ODPH Podcast. Pad, what you got? Got a couple things to talk about. First of which is obviously the local minute. And looking at the standings for the Federal Prospects Hockey League, that is, of course, the league that our local Binghamton Black Bears play in. And looking at the Empire Division, Binghamton still on top at first place. Through seven games played, they have a record of five wins, no losses, and then uh, two uh, losses coming out in either overtime or shootout. Uh, They are ahead. They've got how many points is it? Uh, There it is. 17 points. They are almost uh, 10 points ahead of Danbury, who is in second place with eight points. Elmira's in third with seven points. Watertown's in fourth with six points. Then you've got Wytheville coming in fifth place with three points. So looking good fairly early, I would yeah, say. Yeah, out the gate. I like it. Yeah. Uh, we'll see if they can maintain that schedule, though, uh, and that up-tempo pace, because looking at their schedule from this past week, they had the one game last week, uh, which was on Saturday, uh, on the road playing the Danbury Hattricks, where they won by the final score of 4-2. to two. If you have not seen them this week, this season, don't worry. Got more. You got some opportunities this weekend because they play two, count them, two games at home this weekend. First of which is Friday, November 10th, 7 o'clock Eastern, where they're playing the Carolina Thunderbirds. That'll be at the Visions Veterans Memorial Arena. And then Saturday, back at the same time, same place, same team. So 7 o'clock Eastern against the Carolina Thunderbirds at the Visions Veterans Memorial Arena. Uh, so for more tickets, information, all that good stuff, BinghamtonBlackBears.com. Uh, then we're going to talk some baseball because, hey, congratulations to the Texas Rangers uh, winning their first World Series in franchise history. 63 years as a franchise, 50-some-odd of them uh, in the state of Texas because, of course, they used to be in Washington as the Washington Senators, and they moved to Texas, but they won the World Series, uh, beating out the Arizona Diamondbacks. So kudos to uh Texas uh, kudos to the the police department down there who had to navigate the parade they had there there was like 500 to 700,000 people there just for the parade yeah it was wild which is insane but hey kudos to them I gotta say I'm loving the videos I'm seeing of the folks who've been fans of the team since they moved to Texas and just how moved to tears they are 
it's awesome to see. So kudos to the Texas Rangers and kudos to Bruce Bochy. You know, making it to three World Series uh, as a manager, won with the Padres, didn't win that one. Made it to a few with the San Francisco Giants, won those. Mm-hmm. Won his first one with the Texas Rangers. So, uh, dudes in a very exclusive club. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, then we got to talk some more baseball because uh, we got, it's award season here coming up soon. Uh, but the Gold Glove Awards were handed out. Not going to go through them all, but got to give kudos to uh, Yankees' own Anthony Volpe winning the Gold Glove for the shortstop position in the American League, becoming the first ever Yankees rookie that is wild to win a gold glove so you think of some of the folks who have come through yeah. the hallowed halls of Yankee Stadium as a rookie Derek Jeter you know you got Luke Gehrig who came through there and, and all the other names have come through as rookies you know never nobody else has won a gold glove except for Anthony Volpe that's freaking wild holy shit that was impressive as all fucking get out uh but to mention award season uh so the awards will be handed out uh, the next couple of weeks rookie of the year will be handed out on November 13th manager of the year on November 14th Cy Young award will be November 15th spoiler alert American League is going to Garrett Cole or I will burn this some bitch to the ground <laughs> he's not lying uh, and then the MVP will be announced on November 16th. Uh, we, we will know the finalists for those awards uh, this upcoming week, uh, so we'll keep tuned for that. But like I said, Garrett Cole for American League Cy Young, or like I said, I burn this some bitch to the ground. Yeah, he should be a lock. Uh, yeah, should be, based off the numbers. Uh, and then we got to talk some coaching uh, switches because there have been some coaching hires in the Major League Base, Major League uh, this season. Uh, so we're going to start one today. The Mets have hired the Yankees longtime coach, uh, Carlos Mendoza as a manager. He has been with the Yankees for 15 years in multiple roles was in the minors from 2011 to 2012 in the past four seasons on Aaron Boone's bench as the bench coach. Uh, so I I'd say for them, Hey, good hire. Uh, if nothing else, you're going to get some hella good ejections. If he gets ejected, if he learned those from uh, Aaron Boone. So mm-hmm. we'll, we'll see what happens. Of course, the Mets were in contention for Craig council. Uh, who he chose to leave the Brewers uh, because Craig council has joined the Chicago Cubs as their new manager. The Cubs had fired David Ross, although boy, Chicago, you better see something in him. I don't yeah, because I... they are paying Craig Council five years, $40 million. It is the highest salary for any Major League Baseball manager ever. Yeah. The highest, previous highest uh, manager pay uh, salary was Bob Melvin in the San Francisco Giants at $4 million for all of like two weeks. And now it's. Craig Council. Don't get me wrong. Craig Council was a great player. You know, great had, player, but great man, player. That's, a, that's a lot. Played for a bunch of years. Uh, he st- he was p- started off with the Colorado Rockies. Played for the Marlins, Dodgers, Diamondbacks, Brewers. You know, two-time World Series champion. Once with the Marlins. Once with the Diamondbacks. NLCS MVP. He's on the Milwaukee Brewers Wall of Honor. You know, but he was with the Brewers as their manager from 2015 up through 2023. You know, but like I mean, you look at the Brewers. Time during that, obviously they they haven't won a World Series, so you know can't give them that. Never won a National League pennant, never so they never made it to the World Series, you know. And and, and in terms of the division titles since he's been there, so he was there 2015, 2013. So that's what like eight years, mm-hmm. eight years. So in those eight years, they only won the National League Central title three times in those eight years, and they made the wild card twice. So out of the eight years, they made the playoffs five times, which is not bad. But when you're not making it all the way, little to be desired. We'll see what happens with him in Chicago, though. 
Yeah, I mean, anything is possible. That just seems like a mm-hmm. very, very gutsy contract, if yeah, you ask me. gutsy contract. And then, obviously, we got free agency coming up, which I'm not going to run through. All the names are free agents. There's, there's a whole bunch of them. Uh, free agency will start here in the next couple of weeks, but a couple of names you should keep your eye out for. Obviously, Clayton Kershaw going to be a free agent. Uh, Jordan Montgomery with the Texas Rangers also was with the Cardinals and the Yankees. Fun, did a phenomenal job in the postseason for Texas. Mm. He'll be a free agent. Cody Bellinger uh, was with the Chicago Cubs. He'll be a free agent. Aaron Nola with the Phillies. Uh, Blake Snell also. Keep an eye on Juan Soto. Of course, the one everyone's looking out for, Shohei Otani, will be a free agent. Uh, it is being reported as we record that the Angels have extended a qualifying offer to Shohei uh, for the 2024 season, which would be $20.325 million. That's to be expected. They'd be fucking asinine if they didn't at least an extended qualifying offer. But listen, he's going to pick his options and go where he wants to because he chose to go to the Angels out the gate. And mm-hmm. uh hasn't really got much to say for it. No. So we'll see what happens for that. But the one the second one I'd say keep an eye on, it's this dude out of uh, Japan, Yashinobu Yamamoto, uh, who's a pitcher over there in Japan, just pitched a game for them the other day. Listen to this fucking stat line. Uh, so this is reading from an article on ESPN.com. It says, quote, Yashinobu Yamamoto will be allowed to move to a Major League Baseball team under the player posting system. The Oryx Buffaloes said Sunday after the team lost Game 7 of the Japan Series to the Hanshin Tigers. The ace pitcher has been widely reported to be ready to move to Major League Baseball and expected to be a top target. Quote, I'd like to thank my team for accepting my request. Yamamoto was quoted by Japan's Kyoto News Agency as saying after Oryx lost 7-1 on Sunday. Yamamoto pitched two games during the Japan Series, the World Series equivalent for Japanese baseball. He allowed seven runs in Game 1, but came back in Game 6 and struck out 14 batters, a series record. The, uh, the 25-year-old right-handed pitcher has a 70-29 and 29 record in Japanese baseball. His trademark is his wide assortment of breaking pitches, excellent command, and a fastball in the mid-90-mile-per-hour range. He was 16-6 and six this season with a 1.21 ERA. He struck out 169 batters in 164 innings. This dude's stat line for the game six he pitched went nine full innings, complete game shutout. Gave up nine hits. I think it was only one run, no walks, and he struck out 14 batters. Jeez. This dude, and it was on 138 pitches. This dude's insane. That's on a whole different level. Yankees, sign him. Yeah. I don't care what it takes to get hold of this guy. Garrett Cole at the one, this dude at the two. Holy shit. Well, they kept saying they're promising big sweeping changes, so this is going to be the way to go. I think this is the way to go. Get that dude, and then you put Juan Soto on that team. We'll be looking good. A lot of things can happen. Yes. So, very quickly, before we close out with some UFC talk, the NBA has an in-season tournament going on. About the only thing I like of this is some of the uh, courts they got designed for this. Although the Miami one is fucking wild. Yeah. So this one, reading from an article on ESPN.com, the NBA announced on August 15th it's scheduled for uh, a group stage tournament Mm -hmm. uh, where the inaugural in-season tournament, which will see the winning team earn the NBA Cup and its players $500,000 each. Uh, There's some motivation for you. Yeah, so this is something that um, each NBA team will play four-game group stages. Yep. And the winners will go to the knockout rounds, and the finals are in December. Okay. So, uh, interesting concept. Yeah, I mean, interesting concept. They're trying to give it a little flair. Like I mentioned, you got the specially designed courts for it, which some of them aren't bad. Yeah. The Miami one is fucking wild because it's all red. Yeah, no, that one looked cool. I like uh, the... 2K, put those in the game. 
Yeah, I liked how the Oklahoma City Thunders looked. That one was cool. That was cool. So this is something interesting to watch. And you know what? I understand from one aspect because it's kind of the running joke. Yeah. The NBA's official kickoff is Christmas Day. No, nobody really cares or pay attention unless you're a super diehard and watch every game. Right. Most, most casuals don't really watch until Christmas Day. Right. So this is a way to get more eyes on the prize. Like, you know, let's yeah. see how it goes out. Uh, the Knicks, there's nothing really nice to talk about right now. Last place in the Atlantic Division with two and four record. Yeah. Uh, Randall's got to go. Randall's got to go to Philly in the worst way possible. Trade everybody, get Embiid. I'm sorry. After the comments that uh, were allegedly coming out about a, a question of effort. Uh-oh. Uh, That's not good this early. I'm just putting, yeah, I'm just putting the allegedly's out there because I, hey. I caught snippets. I did not hey. hear it officially. So yes. if... Yikes! If that is true, um, no. This is Jay, this is Brunson's team. So uh, yeah, mm-hmm. you, no. Just yeah. we'll stop that talk right now. So uh, hopefully we'll make some trades and get some uh, life going into the old MSG Garden there. Yeah, they're, because, right, they're right. On, I mean, it's super fucking early. Like right. so, six games into the season early, but they are right on the outside of that uh, playing tournament. Right. So I mean, they still got a lot of ways to go. I mean, Boston's still undefeated as we're recording. Five and zero. Oh. Yeah. Which I mean, but it's still it's early. So <laughs> almost scoring one hundred and thirty points per game. God damn. Yeah. Like I say, I don't fuck. I, you know, that's why. Although then again, out. although then again, Boston, don't get too excited. Remember how the Bruins season went? Mm-hmm. Exactly. Ooh, so I went there. Yeah, I'm glad you did. Because let's go to hockey. Because there's only one set we got to talk about. And that's the New York Rangers are sitting at eight and two, 17 points on top of the metropo- uh, metropolitan division. Uh, Ken, got a question for you. What's up? Uh, so for the NHL, how many players have a nine uh, nine point or nine game, whatever the fucking stat is, uh, scoring streak this season? That's a good question. It's one or Temi Panarin. Yeah, that's right. You know, the Rangers are doing so well. Like, I honestly have been forgetting about the individual goals because this is, like, refreshing to see after they went into their Canadian um, trip. Christ almighty, the West Coast swing. Yeah. Where I'm one, where every night I'm going, why the fuck is the game starting? It's 10 o'clock. Oh, right, they're out West. Yeah, defeating Calgary, Edmonton, Vancouver, the Winnipeg. The West Coast sweep. Yeah. Uh, I mean, unfortunately, they did lose in a shootout to Minnesota, but, yeah. I mean, all good things have to come to an end. Yeah. Six wins in a row is nothing to sneeze about. They are back playing the one and only Detroit Red Wings on Tuesday night as we record. We're looking so, real good themselves. Looking very good. So it's going to be some fun hockey coming out of the gate. I love seeing this. I love seeing the swagger. love seeing the energy. It's Blue Shirt Nation here all day, every day on the ODPH. But let's close out the sports talk by talking some UFC action. Yeah. Now, this was a completely different card <laughs> a while ago to say it uh, politely, mm-hmm. but there's been some switch-ups because of injuries. A lot of moving parts have been going on. Pad, what are we talking about? UFC 295 taking place this Saturday from Madison Square Garden in New York City, New York. Yes. So the original main event was supposed to be Stipe Miocic versus John Jones for the heavyweight title. However, John tore his bicep. Completely. Yeah. This is going to be an estimated nine-month rehab. Yikes. Which, I mean, at this stage, I'm not saying John is done, but... Yeah, it's not good. The motivation factor might not be there for him or even Miosic at that stage. Like, right. A lot can happen in nine months. Yeah, so I'm not saying that that was John's last run, but they're doing an interim title for a reason. Yeah. And we'll get into that, but let's kind of break down the main card, shall we, Pat? Yeah, so the first fight on the main card is in the featherweight division between Diego Lopez and Pat Sabatini. So, great fight to kick off the main card. Uh, Lopez, 22-6. and six, Sabatini, 18-4. and four. Mm-hmm. 
Uh, featherweight division, I mean, it's kind of wide open. Yeah, it's kind of a coin toss there. I mean, what are you kind of feeling on this one? Uh, I'm going to go Sabatini because reasons. Yeah, I think I'm with you on that. Like I say, it's going to be a good scrap. I don't exactly know how it's going to play out, um, but I'll say Sabatini via judge's decision. Okay. Uh, next up is in the lightweight division where you've got Matt Frivola taking on Benoit Saint-Denis. Another great, uh, I want to say mid-card bout, but obviously uh, Saint-Denis and Frivola are putting in some work. Yeah, they are. Saint-Denis. Fuck. Yeah, Saint-Denis is 12-1. and one, Fuck. One no contest. Frivola is 11-3-1. These dudes have got places to go and people to see. I'm looking at their record. So uh, Frivola, 15 professional fights, record of 11 wins, 3 losses, 1 draw. Three-fight winning streak, uh, beating the likes of Gennaro Valdez in UFC 270. That was back in January of last year. Knocked his ass out. Mm. Then he came back at UFC 281. That was in November of last year against Ottoman Azatiar. Knocked his ass out. Uh, Both of those were in the first round, I should mention. Then his last fight was at UFC 288. That was back in May of this year. Beat uh, beat Drew Dober by knocking his ass out in the first round. Yeah. God damn. And then you get over to Benoit Saint-Denis. He is on a uh, one, two, three, four fight winning streak, beating the likes of Nicholas Stolze uh, at a UFC fight night in June of last year. Submitted him with a rear, rear naked choke. Came back against Gabriel Miranda at a fight night. That was in September of last year. Knocked his ass out. Came back against Ismail Bonfim uh, at a UFC on ESPN card. That was in July of this year. Submitted him with a face crank. Uh, and then came back against Tiago, Tiago Moises in UFC Fight Night in September. Knocked his ass out. Uh, dude hasn't gone a fight go the full distance since the October 30th of 2021. Every other fight is in the, I've ended in the second or first round. Fireworks. Holy shit. All day fireworks. Someone's getting knocked out. I'm taking Frivola by knockout. Okay. Uh, I don't know how you're feeling. But I'm feeling the same thing. Yeah, like I said, this gonna be a, that's going to be a don't blink fight. Yeah. Uh, then you've got a matchup in the women's strawweight division where you've got Mackenzie Dern with a record of uh, 13 wins, three losses, currently on a one-fight winning streak, beating Angela Hill via unanimous decision back in May. She is taking on Jessica Andrade in 36 professional matches. She has a record of 24 wins, 12 losses, currently on a three-fight losing streak, leading losing to Tatiana Suarez via guillotine choke submission in her last fight. That was back in August. Losing to Yan Zhaoyan via knockout in May of this year, and then losing to Aaron Blanchfield in via rear naked choke submission. That was back in February. Last win came against Lauren Murphy via unanimous decision at UFC 283 in January of this year. Well, it's one thing I don't do is I at featherweight or I mean sorry strawweight Straw I don't go against Andrade. Andrade is a big strawweight. Mm-hmm. And if you're kind of questioning the power, the slam that she did on Rose Namajunas. Oh, yeah. Like, that's that's what I think. She's going to give Dern some problems here. Five versus seven. I like Andrade in this. I'm going to say via stoppage. Okay. It's going to be a scrap, though. So, like, this is going to be one I think is flying under the radar, so to speak, uh-huh. because not a lot of fans have been talking about this, but Andrade is is no joke at this weight class. Right. So I'm going to take Andrade with this. I'm, you know, I'm going to say I'm going to give the upside. I'm going to say it's going to be Mackenzie Dern. Okay. Just because I'm looking at uh, Andrade's uh, record, her last two fights have been in the strawweight division. Uh, the Yan Zhaoan fight was her return to strawweight, and then the Tatiana Suarez fight was a also at the strawweight division, it looks like. So I, I'm going to go with the upset there. Okay. Uh, then in your co-main event of the evening, also don't blink on this fucking one. 
round. Heavyweight division fight between Sergei Pavlovich in 19 professional matches, record of 18 wins, one loss. Uh, this dude also has places to go and people to see. Uh, last loss came to Alistair Overeem on November 24th, 2018. Came back and knocked out Marcelo Golm in the first round. Knocked out Maurice Green in uh, 2019 in the first round. Knocked out Shamil uh, Abderkaminov in the first round of 2022. Knocked out Derek Lewis uh, in 2022 in the first round. Mm -hmm. Knocked out Tai Tai Tuivasa in the first round of 2022. Knocked out Curtis Blades in the first round of 2023. Are are you sensing a a theme? I I sense a theme you're going with. Uh, And then he's taking on Tom Aspinall in 16 professional matches, record of 13 wins, three losses, currently on a one-fight winning streak, beating Marcin uh, Tybura. Knocked him out. That was at a UFC fight night in July of this year. But here's something that I think is flying under the radar, so to speak. I mean, Pavlovich is uh, number two ranked in the heavyweight division. (laughs) Understandably why. Yeah. Fuck. Dude's got three decision wins for his entire career. But Aspinall, I want you to look at his his record. He does have a loss in there, but is that because of TKO because of injury? Uh, Let me look. There is a loss by knockout. Let's see. Uh, That's the DQ illegal elbow, submission heel hook. Uh, So, yeah, the loss he had against Curtis Blades was a TKO knee injury. Right. So before that, how many fights did he win in a row? One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight. Eight or nine. Yeah. So the record is deceiving because he's coming off the loss. This is going to be fireworks. Eight. eight, That's eight. Yeah. So I'm going to say this. I like Aspinall in this. Okay. And I think this is going to end in the second round with a massive knockout. Mm -hmm. But it's nothing against Pavlovich. I think that I could see him winning the same way. Mm-hmm. This is going to be much like in the same vein of Dan Hardy, Carlos Condit, and whoever <laughs> hits first. That's how this is ending. Oh, so yeah. this is going to be one. Do not blink during this. They're going to be throwing some some haymakers, and it's literally whoever connects first. And I like Aspinall just slightly better. Like if we're talking yeah. percentage-wise. Yeah. 51-49, like that's how close. So, someone's getting their ass knocked out in this one just because I'm I'm looking at Pavlov, Pavlovich's record here. His last decision, anything, because he's never lost by decision. His only loss is Alistair Overeem, which, hey, in 2018, the loss to Alistair Overeem, I fucking understand it. Yeah, I understand it completely. I understand it. But the last decision he was involved in was not even in the UFC. It was at Fight Night's Global 68 on June 2nd, 2017. It has been six years and change since he was involved in a decision. Everything yeah. else has been a knockout. It's wild. Uh, I'm going with Pavlovich because, yeah, that dude's scary. Yeah. Uh, and then in your main event <laughs> of the evening in the light heavyweight division, as you mentioned, this is for the vacant UFC light heavyweight championship. Jiri Prochaka in 33 professional matches, record of 29 wins, three losses, one draw, currently on a good goddamn uh, one, two, three, four, five. Five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven, twelve, thirteen fight winning streak. I'm not gonna go through them all. Uh, I'll give you his last three. Beating Glover to share in his last fight with a rear naked choke submission. That was back in June of last year. Beating Dominic Reyes with a spinning back elbow knockout. That was in May of 2021. And then beating Volkan Odzmedier via a knockout punch. Uh, that was in July of 2020. He will be taking on Alex Pereira. 
who is currently on a one-fight winning streak, beating Jan Blahovitz in his last fight, which was a split decision win. That was in July. Prior to that, he lost to Israel Adesanya, which, hey, no fault there. Uh, that was in UFC 287 in April of this year. So something to kind of keep in, in perspective here. So Jamal Hill was champion, got hurt. Yep. Prochaka was the champion before him. He vacated because he knew he couldn't come back and fight in time. Right. So he did the right thing. I applaud him for doing it. Not an easy choice, but he he did. Right. Perea is moving up from middleweight. Yep. And Perea's claim to fame is he is the one that handed Israel Adesanya defeats in kickboxing and in the UFC in one of the most freakish knockouts in recent memory. Correct. So Perea is moving up to light heavyweight. The only thing you need to know about this is these two are going to go in the cage and it like we we kind of overemphasize about shit hitting the fan. Yeah. Shit's going to hit the fan. We should note this isn't Pereira's debut. Uh, his, right. His debut at light heavyweight was against Jan Blahovitz. And he didn't look great, but here's the difference. What is Blahovitz known for? Wrestling, yeah. grappling. Yeah. That's how he beat Adesanya, even though Adesanya didn't put on weight to go up to fight him at 205. Oh, let's, let's not stupid, forget that. Stupidly, yes. Right. Perea has no ground game. Perea can't wrestle. Projaka does not like to wrestle. Uh, yeah, so in his 29 wins, 25 knockouts, three submission, one decision. You're going to have these two psychopaths going crazy at the press conference. Rock'em, sock'em, robots. The weigh-ins are going to be must-watch TV. Yeah, they are. And they're going to get in that cage Saturday night. Can we get the Diaz brothers to moderate the weigh-ins? Oh, my dude. I, I Just just add more fuel to the fire. Whoever you can get to moderate. like I, I get, need, get the Diaz brothers and Chael Sonnen. Yeah, give me Chael and 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 give me somebody else that's, that is going to just completely go bananas there. Let's, because, let's just make this a spectacle. Because it's going to be a spectacle. Like I said, the, the pre-fight stuff is going to be wild. It's going to be legendary. It's going to be amazing. Like, I'm more excited to watch that. And then when these two get in the cage, like... Oh, rock them, soccer I'm, I'm going to say right now, Prochaka is winning this. Uh, yeah, I think so. But if Perea somehow clips him, I'm not shocked either. Right. Here's the one thing you have to realize. For as big as these guys are going to be, because let's face it, they have to cut to get to 205. Yep. They're going to be throwing at a high velocity <laughs> a shit ton of strikes. See, I don't like swearing that much on here. But this is how much I'm amped up about this fight. And these two psychopaths are going to go in there and try kicking each other's heads off for 25 minutes. I feel Projaka is going to finish this in the third via head kick. I will give you that. But I'm going to tell you right now, this this fight alone is worth the price of admission. Absolutely. But the whole card is pretty stacked. I am super excited to check this out. This is going to be nuts. It's going to be absolutely crazy. Like it, to think about it, like this is going to be one of those fights. Like you're going to be hearing about on social media, from like I say, the press conference to the weigh-ins to the walkouts. Like uh-huh. it's going to be freaking wild. Yeah, and we'll definitely be talking about it on next week's show. Yeah, it's going to be. That's your last pay-per-view for a while because the next one isn't until December 16th. Yeah, there's there's cards in between, but paper- there, there's fight nights. But I mean, yeah. let's face it, there yeah. there's only so much that. With how the UFC is currently structured. Holy fuck, I just looked at 296. Yeah. <laughs> oh, my God. They're Talk about fireworks. They're stacking up a lot for the pay-per-views. Someone's not making it out of 296 alive. Yeah, 296 is a wild card schedule Leon right now. Edwards and Colby Covington. Yeah. 
as the main and, and oh. Pantoja and Royval. Yeah. That's Coach's favorite fighter. Ferguson and Patty. Yep. Oh, my God. Shavcat, oh, Shavcat and Steven Thompson? Yeah. Vincente Luke. Wow. Yeah. Luke versus Gary. Yeah. Wow. Like, that fight card, I mean, we have not purchased one in a while. Josh Emmett's on that we, fight, we, we watch the fights elsewhere. That might be one we might have to invest in. Yeah, that that's looking like an early contender. Though. That that's yeah, not not going to jinx it just yet. But like I said, we like to go out to certain establishments to watch that show these fights. Yes. So uh, that being said, give us your predictions about what you think is going to happen in UFC 295. I can't wait to talk to everybody about this. This is going to be nuts. It's going to be a wild card to cap off a great week of sports action. That said, for anything and everything, it is the ODPH. You can find it at odphpodcast.com. For the one and only Pat Owanje. Fuck the Astros. I'm your host, Ken M. Thank you as always for listening to the ODPH Podcast, better known as the Ocho Duro Parlay Hour. See you next time.